Okay, check a flag, check a flag, P12. Yep, I think that was a really good race, really good recovery. And glad to see you, Roman is, uh, okay, that was nasty. to another episode of Really Great. As always, I'm your host, Matt. I'm joined by the man I can only assume is the most confused in the world after his two favorite drivers crashed into oh each other. Oh my God, can it's you stop? Kishan. Lance Stroll is not in my two favorite drivers. You are lying to oh, my... Well, tell me, tell me who your second favorite driver is then. My favorite driver is Pierre Gasly and Danny Kvyat is second. Oh... Uh. So why are you a Racing Point fan, not an AlphaTauri fan? Because Racing Point are more relevant. He's a man of style, let him okay, be. You're a Valencia fan, that makes no oh, sense. I, mean, I consider myself an AlphaTauri fan, but Racing oh, Point are my team of choice in terms of like you know competitive places. Vladimir just pays better, doesn't he? Yes. That's fair. And I'm also joined by, um, soon to be once again, Schumacher fanboy, it's uh, Spencer Hudson. Hello, hello, yes, thank you. Forza Ferrari, grazie, grazie. Was that, was that a reveal of his last name for the first time on this podcast? No, I reckon it's been mentioned before. Ooh, spicy. Um, uh, this week's show, also, can we do we like how Spencer starts by just saying hello and then just descends into casual racism? Oh, well, now you're calling out casual racism, mate, from oh, the master casual, himself. We're all from Queensland. Well, you're Jesus. loosely from... We're all oh, just, the um, This week's show, we um, address the horrific scenes that was Roman Grosjean's accident. Take a bit of a look at the continuously spicy midfield battle and revel in the fact that Lewis Hamilton has a cough. All that and more oh my God. on this week's episode of Really Great. That was actually a good intro. another week in review of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Almost forgot what race it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we'll, well, interesting race. A lot happened, a lot to unpack. Um, we'll get straight in with the obvious topic from the race, which is, of course, Roman Grosjean lap one crash. Start sequence, a little bit of sort of chaos went on everywhere. And in all of that, Roman Grosjean made contact with Danny Kvyat, which fired him into the inside wall just off the exit of turn three. Um, about that wall's about oh, forty-five degrees to the track, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Armco Armco barrier, so obviously you know metal metal railed fencing. Um, what proceeded was the most shocking crash we've seen in Formula One in. A very very long time, uh, instantaneously. Because I think I think um, the camera shot it was on when we saw it was looking down from the end of that straight back to the field coming towards it, and you just saw a car suddenly fire off at an angle, and then just fireball, and then they cut away and didn't show us anything again for several minutes. But basically, his car hit the barrier front nose section embedded itself in the barrier the entire rear of the car split away piercing something that had fuel in it which obviously ignited immediately in a you know small 
fireball. Um, it's not a small fireball. It was bloody huge. I mean, it wasn't a massive fireball. Like, it, it was a fairly really large a fireball. I think it was above average. Intermediately sized above fireball. average fireball. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, so it was It was pretty shocking. Obviously, instantane- instantly, um, very, very stressful viewing. I think distressing for all the drivers who were around it, for anyone who was at the track. Um, we didn't see anything for a good four or five minutes, which left you sort of, you know, not sure what was going on until finally we got a camera shot of Roman Grosjean in the back of the medical car, looking dazed but otherwise all right. Um, yeah, worst accident I've ever seen in Formula... First time I've ever seen a fireball in Formula 1. I've seen a couple of... don't even know whether I saw a fuel fire because refueling left the sport fairly early after I started watching, but... First ever fireball I've seen in Formula One, easily the worst accident I've ever seen. First time I've genuinely been like, I don't quite understand how that man has walked away from that. Um, yeah, just never quite seen anything like it. Yeah, so what, what happens is, you know, the, it's a bit of a hectic start. Um, a couple of drivers have really bad takeoffs. I think Bottas and Ocon, drop, they drop back, they kind of compress the whole field. And you see, like, Drivers going three wide. Lance Stroll had to go off the track, went right. Kimi had to go off the track, went left. There was debris. I think Lando Norris lost his front left wing. And Grosjean obviously sees all this and he's like, okay, I've got to get out of the way. And he, and he swerves right to try and kind of, you know, miss the pack and maybe even make a few moves. And he just clips Danny Kvyat, like, just a little bit. And the fact that he's only come away with it with, I think, it's just soft burns on his hands rather than, you know, anything truly serious is, is quite spectacular. He was in there for 30 seconds, almost, in the actual fire. Um, this, is a, this is a quote from Romain Grosjean. It felt much longer than 28 seconds. Um, this is him talking to a French broadcaster, TF1. I see my visor turning all orange. I see the flames on the left side of the car. I thought about a lot of things, including Nicky Lauda. I thought that it wasn't, pe- wasn't possible to end up like that, not now. I couldn't finish my story in Formula One like that. For my children, I told myself that I had to get out. I put my hands in the fire. I got out, felt someone pulling on my suit, so I knew that I was safe. As, yeah, you, the scenes when he was literally like getting pulled out of the, the wreckage and the flames, and he's just like, one of his boots isn't even on. He's like shaking his hands, and he's like, I don't, I need, I, I don't even, I can't even fathom what he wants to go into. Yep. And he hit that wall hard. 53.1 Gs hard. Hmm. Which is a lot of Gs. Jesus Christ. I mean, honestly, it's probably the hardest. That's the thing. Like, not only is it a fireball and everything, it's probably the hardest, just about the hardest I've ever seen a Formula 1 car hit a barrier. Especially an Armco barrier. That was, because that was so... Charles's um, crash at Monza was pretty pretty full on but that was um into the tire barrier and i guess that was the the last one we've had where they've actually you know they had to take time to fix that barrier but that only took them about you know 15 20 minutes it took i think it was about an hour it was about 15 20 minutes until they announced it was a 45 minute delay to get it fixed because they had to pretty much you know cut away and weld all that stuff off and then they just put makeshift concrete blocks um there instead just to you know try to get things Moving as quickly as possible, as you know, the show must go on. But yeah, it was a pretty scary one. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, Matt, that the initial live shot, um, 
where I think it would have been, what, turn four. And, yeah, obviously they've got Hamilton um, leading Verstappen, leading uh, Perez. And then, yeah, I first saw I first saw Raikkonen sort of, like, ping off to the right. And I was like, oh, geez, like, that, that looks pretty dangerous. And then within a couple, like, you know, a second of that, yeah, you just see a couple of sparks from them connecting. And then, yeah, it was instant, wasn't it? As soon as he hit the wall, that thing just, like, went off like a fucking rocket you mentioned the impact with which he hit the barrier like the the actual shot of I think it was the survival cell that was just in like it just penetrated the barrier you saw the halo had just kind of separated these like sheets of metal it's like oh that's where his head was oh Mm. that's brilliant that's nice yep just mushed right in there photos of the survival cell um, like a snowplow past garage after the race like it honestly Apart as apart from the fact that it's you know completely charred, I mean, stick your front wing back on it. That thing looks ready to go. Jesus, which is mad. Like, and that's it. It, it looks burnt, but it doesn't even look like burnt and like deteriorated away or like crumpled, melted or anything. It just looks burnt. That's insane. And yeah, real testament to just how they build these things, and that, and a real testament to obviously the halo, which was a controversial innovation when it came in a few years ago but it's really been a case that's thing like you see accidents in formula one or any motorsport these days and you look at them and you go ah you know i can imagine like if that was 40 years ago that boy could be dead but obviously you know for the last 15 years or whatever that's just been an accident whatever this what's so just in some ways really hard to process about this one is it's not 40 years, it's not even 20 years, it, three years ago, Roman Grosjean's dead. There was no halo, as we had, you know, this, this we've had in the entire history of Formula One. Like, yeah, that, you know, that's his head hitting the barriers, and at best, that is such intense blunt force trauma that... No, 53 Gs is no way, like... But in more likely, he's, you know, probably been decapitated. So, okay. what a brilliant innovation the halo has been for this sport oh definitely yeah yeah, Grosjean credited the halo with saving his life Charlie Whiting just pushing for no you know what this is this is something we need to have Mm. come into the sport it's going to happen whether you know you the drivers and fans or whatever like it or not because it was yeah very very controversial I think you know would surprise me if you did a a, a poll of them more than half the grid probably were opposed to the Halo. Even Roman Grosjean came himself. in, Grosjean himself, yeah. yeah. Lewis Hamilton. Mm. Um, there was obviously, you know, concerns in terms of how long it could take a driver to get out of the cockpit. If it was, you know, the car was upside down or something, we'll get to that a bit more later. But even then, you know, wedged in the middle of a fence, it still only took Roman Grosjean 28 seconds to get out of a burning car. Mm. And, you know, 28 seconds to get out of a burning car or not being able to get out of a car at all because you don't have a head, um, mm. I certainly know which option I see as preferable for myself. I'll, yeah, it's quite... I'll take the 25 seconds inside the fireball and being able to get back out. Yes, indeed. Because, yeah, Marion Grosjean, uh, Roman's wife and mother of their three children, sent out some public words of thanks, obviously, to Alan van der Merwe and Dr. Ian Roberts and their medical team who got Roman out so quickly. Um, she thanked Kevin Magnuson for his words of support and then also credited the family of Jules Bianchi and just kind of, you know, sympathising with what they've been through um, and, yeah, sending out those words, but mm, some heavy stuff. Yeah, and it was, it wasn't, like, obviously the halo was, you know, 
the the biggest point where, like we said, if the halo's not there, he's you know, you don't really want to speculate what would have happened without it. But I think most people, and I think a, a, a photo's been servicing like online yeah. of how the you know the angle of it and what it would look like if you know the halo wasn't there, and it looks like it most definitely would have been his helmet area taking a brunt of about 53 G's of force. Um, but I think just the, the, just everything about it. So even like, you know, he got, got out of the car and we say just under 30 seconds, like you'd have to think like he hasn't really come out and said too much, but you would have had to have thought that he was at the very least shaken up because he wasn't unconscious. Thank God. Cause that could have mean, you know, him potentially burning alive, which was very bad. But it was, you know, it looked like he was sort of struggling to get out of there until the fire extinguishers got over there. And you sort of see from a few of the shots, obviously the medical car, which stays right behind. That was, a, I think, a relatively new um, introduction in the last 10 or so years of F1 where they just have the car sort of like trail behind, like, you know, just to be safe and lucky it was there. Um, but then also, yeah, the, the fireproof suits. Um, and I think they were saying on the telecast that they have five layers or something like that of um, fireproofing. So, you know, the the white shirt, that they obviously, when they take off their suit, they've got all the sponsors on it. I think there's something else under that. They've got the balaclava um, under the helmet and obviously the gloves as well. And I'd assume, like, could you see he, um, I thought he, like, really burnt his foot as well because when he comes over that barrier, I would assume that that barrier was pretty hot because the way that he was sort of shaking his hands when he was touching it as well. But it doesn't seem like there was anything wrong with that. So, obviously, even, like, F1 has gone down to the socks to make sure that, like, they're, like, completely fireproof. And then on top of that as well, like, the car... Like, you know, we, we spoke about this when the race happened and I said that my little brain just, you know, couldn't for the life of me figure out how he was alive. Because when it happened live and the, the shot and the delay and the look on everyone's faces and a few people in house crying and everything else, like, you just immediately assumed the worst. But for him to come out of there with only, you know, like, what would it have been, like, not even first-degree burns, I guess? Like, just standard burns. And I think he's even, uh, him and Magnuson went out for lunch or breakfast today. So, you know, he's definitely on the men, but just how much the FIA has copped for, you know, safety from their drivers and the fans and them saying that the cars don't look as good and, you know, it was better when there was more danger and risk involved, like yada, yada, yada. Um, This just goes to show that they went from possibly the worst PR event that they could ever have since Jules. Like, honestly, like it would have been like as bad as a, um, as a Burton Senna type of crash because, you know, the... The way that it happened, you know, nothing to take away from the um, Bianchi incident, but that was a, you know, a a shocking incident, but one that was very easily kind of, you know, rectified. Like, this was one where the car just went completely off the track, hit, and then split into two, blew up with God knows how much fuel in it, and just the, the response from everybody, the ability of a car to withstand 50 Gs of force, um, and then for him to, yeah, literally just walk away with melted helmet and all was just it was a, a, a crazy just a crazy sequence of events and then obviously then the drivers have to sit around for an hour try to like calm themselves and everything else and then after that hour it's just straight back into it I mean I think well yeah because you touch on like the center incident compared to the Jules Bianchi incident I think the other difference in this just in terms of like like we didn't see the Bianchi incident live that happened. I believe it happened during because it was under safety cut so it happened during I believe an ad break for like the commercial stuff so we didn't like oh it was actually I'm not even sure if it's even on 
a broadcast footage or whether it's just because um, I mean I've I've watched footage of the accident and I think it might all just be fan footage so I'm not even sure if there is like official broadcast footage of the Bianchi crash whereas with the Senate crash and obviously with cra- this crash yeah you saw it happen like it was on the broadcast you saw it happen live in real time so you're already thinking like you've seen just how awful like I think all we knew at Bianchi is the details we were getting told in that but you've you know he wasn't getting out of the car but even and, uh, and, and, and yeah, even that audition. one wasn't. Sorry, I would say that the center one was less scary because oh, it wasn't until you saw yeah, no. them sort of go down and see. None this one was as soon as it happened and with how quickly it cut away. Because in the back of my head as well, I was thinking, well, normally like like these sorts of things, they run on like a slight delay or something like that, you know. So if something really bad happens, they can kind of like you know cut away and stop. And that's what I thought because it, it was like. Obviously, it was the the set camera angle because it was when Hamilton was coming into turn, would have been turn four, that it just cut away. But the way that it happened, it was just like car hit, massive fire, like the the flames. I think I can't remember what the sponsor was, but one of those like you know overhead banners. The flames went up over that, and I'm pretty sure might have even like touched it a little bit. And then it just cuts away, and then it goes yeah. immediately into red flag, and I, and then Crofty um, is immediately like, oh, you know, that's that's a bad one. And you could even see it in, in there or hear it in their voices as well that they they didn't know what yeah. what was next. You know well, what I mean? I think it was that thing because, like, it, it, the instant reaction you have to that crash is, oh, my God, like, he he's dead or whatever. But the thing, you, I mean, you sometimes, you know, you have that to – you can have that to a few different – like, the Charles Leclerc crash happened and I was pretty quickly like, oh, geez, that was really, really bad. Like, God, I hope Charles is all right. And then, you know – Within seconds, I kept on it, and very quickly we were getting footage of Charles getting out of the car, and you're like, oh, he's completely fine. How great are these cars? With the Roman, your instant thought yeah. is, oh, God, Roman Grosjean's dead. And then, they just don't, yeah. then they're not showing you anything, so then you're suddenly going, oh, no, uh, no, he actually is dead, isn't he? If, he? if he was fine, they'd be showing us footage. They're not showing us footage. He's, he's dead. And at least in the the Charles one, you know, he he ran into a little bit of gravel, and then it was into tires. So like when it sort of happened, you saw it. But like initially, went to the onboard, like he was moving, he was fine. But with this one, right, it was two hundred and seven or two hundred fifty something kilometers an hour, coupled with his car was out of control on just concrete, and like that's even it as well, right? I think like the outsides get pretty dusty because it's you know oh, out yeah. in the desert, so there wouldn't have been any grip. And then rather than going into a tire barrier, like. And, like, you know, we have to wait until the official reports come out from it, but I wouldn't imagine that the car would have split like that if it had gone into the tyre barrier because it was, I think it was more the, the like, and it wasn't even the nose that went into it, right? Like, his, like, literally the, like, it was pretty much bang smack in the middle of where the halo was vertically across the barrier. So the car has well and truly, like, and you, you think about how it was in there as well, right, with the way that he was going. He's facing zero degrees. He hits it at about... 45 degrees and then the car like literally his his survival pod was spun the opposite direction so he's gone 180 and then the back of it's gone like out of there and then I think the the survival pod is connected up to the engine mount and then that's split it like split it open and then obviously left you know a fuel leakage or something like that and you know like we saw with the uh, Kimi Raikkonen's car a fair few years ago now um uh, McLaren in front of him, they the little fuel bowser when they're still doing refuels flicked off, and a little bit of fuel sort of splashed near it. But because of like you know fuel and oxygen, it just absolutely lit up, and that was a pretty bad one. But this here, like that was just 
and I, like if somebody had shown me that and said that that was a live race, I would have told them that they were joking. I mean, it was from a movie or something like that, you know? Yeah, no, it just you just yeah, I mean, you just you don't you don't. I mean, you definitely don't see that in Formula One. You don't even really see that in motorsport. Like I haven't. The last, no. the last fireball I can think of was in I think. 20, I'm going to say between 2012, 2014, um, in V8 supercars. This was just crash, fire, boom. Yeah. yeah. And they said um, in the, the telecast as well that the cars have fire extinguishers um, in them. Do they, they do, mean yeah. that, like, the drivers have a little fire extinguisher that they're able to use, or there's, like, an inbuilt no, fire there's, extinguisher there's a, that there's goes There's, like, off? an inbuilt, inbuilt system that goes... Because at home, Mick Schumacher's went off during, I think, a feature race in the Styrian Grand Prix. He was in, like, a podium position, and he had to pit and DNF from the race because his fire extinguisher just went off of its own volition. Oh, that's right, yeah. Because um, with Gasly's yeah. one in one of his races earlier this year, his engine yeah. blew. Um, yeah. And I think that was, like... was it? I think they were saying that the fire extinguisher didn't go off. That's why there was, like, a lot more damage. Like, there was some kind of fault. Yeah, might have been yeah and that's, like... That's pretty much yes. That's the one. That's pretty much the only, the only type of fires we see. And even um, the marshals that were right next to it. And thank God they didn't get hit by that tire that just absolutely like both tires. Like the left one obviously went like, yeah. all the way across the track. Well, that was the other thing. And then, thank God, thank God was, he was last. I was yeah. I was gonna say thank God he and <laughs> he and Kvyat were the two last cars on track because if that had happened in like sixth position. That that left rear tire yeah. was coming right back across into. Well, it, yeah, the um, the the both the Williams just crossed Grosjean and Kvyat as he kind of made impact, and it was the one to yeah. the right was like was a good 10, 15 meters, like that was like sitting in the sand, and then you see one of the marshals try to get in there um, early on, and a lot of a few people on social media, because this is what people on social media do, of course, started critiquing him for not being able to get in there quick enough. But he only had oh a fire extinguisher God. with the really small nozzle that's designed to get into the little exhaust pipe for engine fires. So, like, that, right. that's the only yeah. fire extinguisher that he had on hand. The one that he did, you look at it, he tries to use it, and you kind of see a little bit of the mist start to go out, but then it's, it doesn't even touch the fire, just the heat surrounding the fire. It just goes mm. to nothing. So it wasn't until that fire marshal who absolutely booked it from the other side, so the, the left side of the track in the on the race direction he came over you saw the FIA marshal help him like Roberts. unclick it no, yeah. no well, that was from the car and then they the just marshal who oh, came okay. over and I think as well like with like the way that Grosjean says as well like you you can definitely see that he I don't think he thought that he was really able to get out of there until they got that initial like sort of like blast onto it and then you saw the fire kind of subside for a second then you see him try to and this is a crazy thing for me as well like the the image for me that's the wildest is one from the opposite side where you see him try to duck his head literally in between the barrier and then realising that that's not working with his hands on this, I would imagine, boiling hot metal armco barrier yeah. and then flicks it off the other way. And then, yeah, like just what he said, like when he felt, you know, someone like grabbing on him, he knew that he was going to be safe. Like that's... And the fact as well, like, you know, in that situation, the first thing that you think of is Nicky Lauda. Like that just goes to show like how, you know how much of a camaraderie and despite all the, you know, the selfish nature, the ego, the, the bitchiness, like all that sort of thing that like, you know, these, these things are still very much in the minds of all the drivers when they go out there that they've had guys before them that have perished doing it or suffered serious injuries. Like every single driver on the radios, like I listened to a video, I think you guys have as well of all the radio comms 
immediately after the red flag was um, was posted, and like a lot of them are very very worried. Like in particular, like Charles was dropping a lot of f bombs. Like he seemed very nervous. Um, Carlos, because he was a little bit further Carlos back, saw it. And then obviously with the turn nine, I think turn nine pretty much overlooks that. And when the cars were coming around, slowed down a lot from the red flag, they could still see a ball of fire. And everyone is asking, like, you know, the first thing that we're asking is, like, who is that? Are they out of the car? Because, like, they look at that and they see one Mm -hmm. of their, like, fellow brothers that could potentially have, you know, lost his life doing something that they've loved doing as children. I was just going to say one of the interesting ones I heard in that. Um... Like Kimmy's radio message, um, and we all know what Kimmy's like, but like there was no harshness or whatever. Like it, you, could, you could tell there was a different edge. Like, it did not. It almost didn't sound like Kimmy Raikkonen. You, you could, could barely hear it, him as well. It was so like soft could, and quiet. You, like you, he you was could nervous. sense like there was real concern in his voice. Of you know, like is he is he out of the car? Is he okay? And this is a guy that's literally one of the like you know one of the biggest badasses in F one history. Like he's gone through some absolutely horrific crushes like in his career and for a guy like him to be very nervous about something like and it was everyone right like Sebastian Vettel was very fucking scared um Daniel Kvyat obviously was like you know he the first thing he said because his I think is Amir he was like oh what what was that Haas doing obviously referring to him like you know cutting across which was you know a a dangerous thing to do but that's neither here nor there because I feel that any kind of dangerous move that Roman might have like you know pulled off he certainly paid for it with the aftermath but as soon as Kvyat saw him go into the wall he went straight from like what the hell is that Haas doing to oh my god that was a big one is he okay and then the worst thing is all the engineers have no information so all these drivers are asking and pleading with them like going like is this guy okay like is he out of the car and all they can say is like uh yeah like we'll we'll find out when we can like we don't know yet like hang tight and it wasn't until a good what all the cars were parked up in red flags. Pretty much every driver was out of the car with their helmets off until they saw the footage of Gromon being like taken away and everyone clapping. And then I saw something last night where Roman said that he, they told him that he had to go straight onto the stretcher um, and like into the ambulance. But he said, no, no, like I want to walk to the medical car so that everybody knows that I'm okay. And I think that's pretty badass as well. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, Rajon elaborated a little bit recently on, on just what happened and a few quotes here. Um, I undid my seatbelt right away and I tried to get out of the car, but I realized my helmet was hitting something. I sat back down, I told myself that I was stuck and that I'll wait, but on my left it was all orange and I realized that I was burning. I told myself, no time to wait, I'm going to try to get out on the right, but I couldn't. I couldn't get out on the left either. Um, I saw death, not close up, but from too close. It's a feeling that I wish on no one. And then he said he thought about his children and doing that. Um, he found a way to um, extract himself. That's where I found the resources to pull out my blocked foot. So that's why you see his left foot doesn't have a shoe on it because evidently it just got crushed underneath some, you know, the car itself. So I pulled out my blocked foot. I turned my head, put my hands up to hoist hoist myself out knowing that they were going to burn but that was okay i still just looking at it and looking how the you know survive you know the halo and the um survival cell was wedged in that barrier it's so hard to comprehend how a human body yeah even pulled himself out of it like you know even before the halo formula one cars are designed to be a very snug fit they're not you know yeah 
super easy to get in and out of, and that thing was wedged in there with a guardrail, in theory, above his head. Thank God Danny Kvyat controlled his car as well because he was very close to losing it um, and a, a two-car a two car crash in the same spot. Lord knows what happens there. Um, that, you mentioned all the drivers earlier, Spencer, who um, saw the footage when they were in, in pit lane and um, their reaction. I thought it was interesting. I don't really have an opinion on this either way, but I just want to get your thoughts, both of you. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, talking to Dutch broadcaster Ziggo Sports, said that it was disrespectful and, incon- and inconsiderate towards Grosjean's family and also to the families of every driver there for the F1 to broadcast the crash over and over again during the red flag delay. He said, you know, we're going to go race again in an hour and every time we look at the, we look at the TV, it's a ball of fire and his car's cut in half. We can see that tomorrow. We don't need to see that today. So just, um, he cops a lot of flack for that, a lot of criticism. I'm just curious what you guys think necessarily of, of I guess, the F1's decision to broadcast the um, like I, he, he definitely has a point, I think. Um, like, it's it's hard for, like, I, I think it was um, uh, Alan Jones, I think, that was one of the main um, people that sort of spoke out. I might have even tweeted something out to him. And, like, you know, the opinion of a, another, like, a former F1 driver, I think, holds a lot more weight than anybody else. Like, like we can't really talk about what it's like to be an F1 driver, um, having to see those see that footage and then try to, you know, rev yourself up again. Um, I know they do a lot of mental exercises to make sure that they're as focused as they can be. Um, and the, the mood of the paddock before the restart was definitely sombre, to say the least. Um, I think Toto Wolf came out and they asked him about it, and he said that while he didn't like... Um, seeing it, um, he thought that it was important that F1 was um, transparent with their viewership and that they, rather than somebody else, release the footage um, and then people, you know, kind of clamor over something that's, uh, you know, almost like a hidden treasure, that they just sort of come out um, with it like in full show that everybody can see. Obviously, they wouldn't have done that if the, you know, the, the consequences were much more severe for Grosjean. Um, but then also, I think as well, with the start time of the, the race, like at least in Australia, it was about midnight. And obviously, you know, 10 past three um, Bahrain time. Um, it it can be hard because a lot of people might have not been paying attention to the race and then they see something like that happen and then they turn it on. Um, it would have definitely been some somebody in the, the PR of F1 telling them to sort of play it because they probably would have been getting a lot more people viewing the race, wanting to see like the crash and see what happens. Um, but I think like, you know, there weren't any fans on the track. Like I didn't, like, obviously I don't think there's a way for them to sort of take away the telecast at the track to like what's happening on the TV, but, um, it would be definitely difficult for an F1 driver to see that. And then like, you know, hop back in the car and go past that same spot. So, um, I think he's entitled to his opinion. I don't really think it's fair for people to sort of like talk out against him because they weren't Daniel Ricciardo in that situation. And Daniel Ricciardo has always been a guy that's just kind of, you know, spoken his mind regardless of what anybody else thinks of him. Yeah, I think I'm kind of like, yeah, kind of similar. I agree and disagree. I actually thought, you know, initially, the initial response to it was handled very well. They, you know, obviously they chose to cut away. They didn't show us really late. And they weren't being particularly speculative on commentary either and that and they were just you know patiently waiting till we knew that Roman was okay the first camera shot we saw of anything as I said was him in the medical car then they started to bring in some replays I do however I like I do kind of 
get what Daniel was saying. It, I think it would have been reasonable if they, you know, showed us. Because I think, you know, you, as you said, they need to be transparent, as you said, as, you know, Toto said and you said and that. And I think, you know, the fan base have a want and, uh, a, you know, right to see what happened and to try to be able to understand what happened and comprehend it for themselves as well. But, you know, you could they could have shown the replays, and uh, you know, a couple of times over right at the start. And then, because, you know, obviously that's thing they had a long break to fill and they probably did keep going back to them. And each time they'd, you know, point out something different they'd noticed or, like, you know, do a bit more analysis on it. But as, you know, as Ricardo says, there's a driver's there, there is, you know, family and that who are possibly watching. You don't really need to be seeing it over and over and over again. You could have, they could have maybe, you know, shown it the first couple of times and then taken a break from it, crossed to other stuff. Sky Sports has the most ridiculously stacked lineup of just whoever to talk about, you know. And then, you know, 45 minutes down the line, after all the people in the production truck and, you know, the likes of Karun and everything have had their chance to review the footage and everything and work out all the different points they want to make about it, point out that bit of debris that had come off Stroll's car that Grosjean appears to run over just before everything happens and then do that, do one, one or two more rounds of going through all the replays, talk all about it, work out, you know, pick it apart, give... You know, the experts can give sort of their feel on what possibly happened and why it might have happened. And in total, in the space of 90 minutes of red flag, we've seen the replays maybe four times. Also, you know... Rather than over and over and over. Over and over. And for the drivers, because, I mean, I get, as, you know, as Ricardo said, they see it over and over and over. And, you, you know, someone like Sebastian Vettel, I believe, was just sort of glued to the screen yeah. the whole time. Yeah. I think if you show it a couple of times and then don't show it after 10, 15 minutes where you've not seen a replay again people's natural inclination is like, oh, all right, well, they're not showing me another replay. You know, you're then able to put, like, if they keep showing replays, even if you're like, this is distasteful, I don't want to be seeing this, it's really hard to possibly pull yourself away. I'd imagine so. Um, but, you know, if, if they haven't shown it for a while, then, you know, like to Ricardo, and they're like, yeah, okay, they're that, and, you know, off they go. And, I mean, yeah, I, I think, so, you know, I think, I think it's a little bit of both worlds. As I said, I don't like... You know, some like it. I mean, obviously, Alan Jones is entitled to his opinion, and he's an ex Formula One driver. He's Australia's only ever world champion, or one of Australia's only two ever world champions, I think. But you know, to say that Daniel Ricciardo should give it all away if he feels that you know that I think that's a bit out of line and a bit unfair. Daniel Ricciardo is one of the top guys in the game. You know, I don't think Lewis Hamilton was particularly enjoying. So he hasn't come out and said anything. But I think Lewis very visibly, because he couldn't keep watching, wasn't enjoying mm-hmm. seeing those replays over and over again. No one's saying, oh, Lewis Hamilton should just give it away. Yeah. He, and he posted yeah, something on Instagram about it as well. And I think, um, well, I don't understand sometimes, like, how, like, you know, on one hand, like, people bitch and moan about F1 drivers, like, acting like prima donnas and, like, not really having, like, you know, a proper sense of the world or, like, they don't live in reality and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then on the flip side of that, when they show any kind of human emotion or any kind of empathy towards a certain situation, then you always have, and I guess it's with all sports, you have like these old heads that are always like, oh, no, nah, mate, like you need to you need to shut up. Like we had it like way worse than you back in our day. And it's like, no, yeah, like, but what, what would you rather happen? Like we continue racing in modified billy carts with 1,000 horsepower with a fuel tank that's made out of plastic. Like... The F1 has to, like, make changes and keep adapting and improving. And, like, I don't... I, I don't see why we would get angry at one of our fellow drivers who, again, is pretty pretty popular and, like, you know, 
no one's as influential as Lewis Hamilton when it comes to their global reach um, or like you know the audience that they bring in. But like it, like there shouldn't be any issue with it. Like Daniel Ricciardo didn't like seeing it. Like I understand people like, oh, we'll just go go into like your like you know go into your little um, what do they call them? Their trucks or whatever it is, um, and just sit it out. Yeah. But that's the thing as well. Like you know they can't just sit around there because he still has a job to do, right? Like the team's probably talking about strategy, and you saw Ferrari replacing parts, and they had the FIA over there like weighing parts and making sure everything was okay. A few teams had damage that they needed to fix onto their cars, and you know it's and it throws everything out, right? Because there's now an extra hour on top of this thing where you, you know, we thought the race was going to finish at fucking five. Now it's going to finish at six. Like that can completely throw off, you know, like a driver's like mentality. Like even Signs was trying to do his reflex training with his tennis balls, and he'd do it for a little bit, and then he'd look up yeah. at the screen again, and he'd just kind of hang his head. Like, this is a lot different than somebody coming out and saying that they're tougher than Daniel Ricciardo. Like, until you're sitting there in a race suit after just seeing that crash happen, knowing that you're going to have to go back out there. Like, that's that's scary. And it's particularly when they, like, replace that Armco barrier with just concrete connected by metal. You know what I mean? Like, now you're going past yeah. that every single lap going like, oh, shit, like, is something similar going to happen? Like, what's the... And the massive tire screech marks that like lead up to the crash site as well. Like that's not yeah. nice. I'd hate to. I'd hate to be especially for drivers like Charles yeah. Leclerc, like who's lost you know family members and friends to these things, or like you know Grosjean's compatriots and Gasly and Ocon who were both very visibly distraught. It was fascinating mm-hmm. to see how the different drivers kind of coped with it. Like you saw Lewis Hamilton just couldn't be around pit lane. He hopped on his scooter and left straight away. Max Verstappen was chatting with Helmut Marco, I think, and yeah, you mentioned science. It was literally just like bouncing a tennis ball on the ground for like an hour, just sitting there, um, whatever going through his head, or can only know. Uh, yeah, just just mental stuff. Yeah, especially like we know how bored it's been, like sitting in like an hour long lecture at uni or something like that that you just don't want anything <laughs> to do with, and you just want to get out of there. Yeah. Like imagine being like that, but then you're being told that you have to go back into a race car that you've literally seen one of the other twenty cars split in half and burn up into a like a fiery inferno. Like, come on, like let's yeah. let's have a little bit of empathy for these guys. Like they can't be superheroes every second of every day. Absolutely. Yeah, show the replays. I think yeah, that's important. But yeah, they don't have to show it all the time. Give give Karun some 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 screen time. Give Paul DeResta some screen time. I love me some Paul DeResta. Or like they could do like the the cricket. They could show some old highlights. Yeah, or even just like go over some of the video packages they showed earlier. Because right, like you now know that you've so, got like yeah. a new viewership there. So show them that little snippet of the Mercedes cars again and, like, what they're looking at doing, like, leading up to 2021-22. Like, yeah. the people that are it's keen for the race me. will go get a cup of tea or something like that. But the people that weren't there before are now getting a little bit of insight. And then while that's on, just yeah. have a little rolling banner down the bottom that just says session has been postponed um, due to a cleanup at turn three, need to replace barrier, Grosjean, you know, major crash, major incident or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Any amount I mean, of external just, content they could use. Yeah. And all that stuff's so, great. You know, race starts, we normally see like the helicopter camera shot and like four different people's on board. Show me everybody's. Pick a, take, take this opportunity to have 90 minutes to pick apart 
bring, actually show me Antonio Giovinazzi's start and explain yeah. to me how every single week Giovinazzi makes five positions in four corners. I'd be fascinated to know that. Take that opportunity That's to do that. That's got Karun written all over it, mate. I'm yeah, instead you. of just showing me Roman's accident over and over and, and like, I, I mean, I get it because like each time you know they they did start to have some new replays. Like the first few times I showed it, they didn't have the footage of him getting out of the car, and then they did. But like we then saw that footage itself. Yeah. Five or six times before I was finally like, all right, this delay is going on for 40, 45 minutes. I'm gonna call it a night. And then, and then I can only imagine that just continued for the next 40 minutes till it actually restarted. And then if it wasn't the highlights, it was them interviewing somebody in the paddock about it. And, like, I get it. Like, it's like a breaking news story, you know. Like, if something, like, major happens, like, anywhere around the world, they have reporters all over the place trying to get, like, you know, a scoop or something like that. But, like, like Sky, Sky Sports have the monopoly in this scenario, right? Like, they don't, they don't need clickbait or anything like that. People yeah. are already watching, like... Like, you know, show us, show us a layout of the track next week or something like that. Like, show us, like, where the turns are going to be. Like, you know, just get Karun on that little, like, touch screen and just have him drawing lines, like, where the race is going to go and stuff. Skypad. But, yeah, and I think, because I, the thing, you know, this isn't, this isn't the news. Like, you know, there's not, like, the whole, the purpose of this isn't that this is a sporting broadcast. This is entertainment. Like, we don't need... There isn't a need for that constant, like, yeah, it's not like, you know, a news broadcast of a disaster or something, and the whole point is for a constant 24, you know, like, 24-7 running feed update of what's happening every time a new development comes in place. We don't need, you know, you could have happily shown those initial replays they had, and then, as I said, 40 minutes down the line when they analyze them all, then you could also be like, hey, look, and these are the replays of Roman Grosjean getting out of the car, say their pieces about how great Ian Roberts and Alan Van did, and all of that, but yeah, you just didn't need to see it over and over and over again. No, I'm not saying yeah. Like, but don't no, just show no. it. Like, if there's it some also, kind of like interesting breakdown to why the car did what it did. Like, I'm all for it. But otherwise, yeah, you don't have to like keep on showing it over and over again because that's the thing, right? If things were worse, and like if Grosjean was sent to the hospital in a critical condition or something like that, or he was knocked out unconscious and he was in the car 15, 20 seconds longer. They wouldn't be showing anything, and then anybody that was showing the footage would be like ridiculed as being like you know, um, like you know, like unfair or improper. Yeah, intensity. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's and it's it's a tough it's a tough rope to kind of balance on. Um, but yeah, F one just probably could have done a little bit of a better job to not be so clickbaity. I guess yeah, it was over an hour, hour wait. I think the old red flag delay leading into the actual race, but it was a good race once we yeah. actually got there. Oh, I was going to say, just, to, just with the others he mentioned, so yes, Grosjean not racing this weekend in the Sakia Grand Prix. He'll be replaced by Haas reserve driver Pietro Fittipaldi. Who is Brazilian and not Italian. That confused me. Well, he's, Emerson Fittipaldi was Brazilian as well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but you think I know who that is, mate? Come on, oh, I've been mate. watching, I've mate, watching mate, F1 mate, for you, less than a season. You do research. I expect you to know every <laughs> single legend of this sport yeah, by a two, now. Yeah, he's a two-time winner, right, Emerson Fittipaldi? Um, that sounds about right. That's no, definitely right. There you go. Um, for bonus points, who is Pietro Fittipaldi's younger brother? No idea. What category does he race in? F- F4. Italian League. Mm, Spencer was getting closer. F3? It's Enzo Fittipaldi. F3. Oh. Damn it. Oh. Hey, is, he, is he good? Um, Better. I think he was better than his results were showing. He had a... I think he was in... I'm pretty sure he was in a... 
HWA and just that whole team had some very, very mediocre. I'm pretty sure he was in the same team as Jack Dillon, and they just had some very mediocre results, with the exception of a couple of good moments by Jake Hughes. Jakey. Jakey! So, uh, steering things back to um, the actual race. A little bit lighter topics now and that. We can get into the actual race, and it was still. Still a pretty interesting one. A lot oh, it was went a bloody on. good race, Matt. Right from, I mean, it was yeah, it was fairly, it was a fairly. I mean, it wasn't anything special, but yeah, it was like, some good races. Oh yeah, good moments, yeah, good overtakes, yeah. good uh, good moves. There were some terrible moves as well. Much of a mu- much of a muchness. Yes, right off. It was just a bang up. It was bang up. You know, Formula One race. Nothing like the Bahrain of old. Not one of the best Bahrain races we've seen. But um, right off the bat, restart happens. Giovinazzi lost places, which was disappointing, but it wasn't lap one, so that doesn't count to his statistics, so they're still intact, and that's all that matters. And then also the fact that a fair few... There was a massive reshuffle um, after the restart as well, because... Yeah, oh, that was that was weird Because the well. only... How they... Yeah, the, the most recent um, measuring point was the exit... Um, the exit to the pit straight or the DRS entry for the um, straight out of turn three... So a fair few guys, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one because Ricardo got dicked down of like I think three three spots off the the restart, and then he got squished out. And I think he went from he was fourth when the race got stopped, and then he was tenth by um, turn four. Yeah, it was it was, and I think because as well garbage. Like, Garbage. I think for most categories, I don't know for sure if it's Formula One, but typically the way a red, red flag obviously happens, like the order they take is from like the end of the previously completed lap or possibly the end of the lap before it. They normally go back a couple of laps, and that's the order they take for a restart. So I just, I'm not quite sure why they didn't just restart in grid order. Yeah. Like a lap hadn't been completed. I don't know why they played. Oh, we'll check and see who was here at what. This isn't NASCAR where we get all weird and we go. Oh, if we go to the last increment of the thirty seventh timing line on this oval, that's the order. You just go. They, they, I think three corners happen. They should have just gone right. We're just going to start the race again with everybody in their same spots and a vacant grid slot for Roman Grosjean. Let's do this, boys. But anyway, putting that aside, this time we made it a whopping. Seven seven corners is that that hairpin's turn seven, right? Yes, I think it is. <clears throat> and then um, Jashan, I guess, proceeded to have an aneurysm as favorite drivers one and two ran into each other. Lance Stroll is not my favorite driver. He just gets a lot of flack, and I defend the truth, Matthew. Oh, you he defend gets a lot the of truth. Unbiased flack. Yes. Okay. Which Whatever is why you Danny say. Kvyat was not at fault at all. Uh, yeah. Oh, I see. Rocks in your so fucking we find head. Out, we find out where Chishan's true allegiance is relying. Apparently, it's not to Daddy Stroll. <laughs> it's to Daddy Vladimir. You are... <laughs> you're putting words in my mouth, Matthew. You are creating a false narrative. Hey, money, news, money talks. Hey, Deshaun, money talks. Then why am I goddamn broke, Spencer? <laughs> Gotta pick a side. <laughs> Uh, so what happens is Danny Fiat tries to go, I think, what, through the inside of Lance Stroll. Um, mm-hmm. and he Parks it on the apex. He didn't park it. He hesitated. He parked it. He sent it, and he sent it very poorly. Yeah. Realized he was sending it poorly. Attempted to drive off the inside of the corner to get out of the way, but he can only go so far. And Lance yeah. Stroll, obviously having no idea that he was there, was like, oh, I'm going to take my apex. And then was like, oh, I'm upside down. Yes. 
How unfortunate. I mean, yeah, look, it wasn't a great... It was a, it was a poorly executed move, but there was no malicious intent there. Oh, no, one, no one's saying there was malicious intent from Kvyat, but sometimes, you know, it's just as bad. I don't know that's it, it wasn't hurt, but it, it can be just as bad just be like, well, that was just stupid, wasn't it? Ten seconds was a bit of a harsh penalty, I think. That's a bit of a harsh I penalty. will say that. Ten seconds oh, was rough. ten seconds. Give I don't know five. why it wasn't just a five-second. Yeah, five. If that if was that, Lewis that Hamilton, seems, he gets that five seems seconds. To be, that seems to be the current play of things in Formula 1. We don't see drive-throughs or anything. It just seems to be time penalties. And the standard issue seems to be five seconds. And based off that... Well, it's even... Um, yeah, I don't know why it's not In Russia, penalty. Charles turfed Stroll and didn't get any penalty. Yep. In a, uh, but a relatively similar. Nothing happens, but this was effectively lap one as well. So, yeah, where's the yeah, racing exactly. incident, boys? Where's the racing incident? I think. Come on. I think the the issue is that it's two drivers that seem to have the widest elbows or the <laughs> the smallest blind spots because it was mm. it was dumb from both drivers. Like Kvyat put too much put too much faith into Lance Stroll being able to see him, <laughs> and Lance Stroll is not a Kimi Raikkonen or anything like that. But it was it was weird because it is a wide track, but like that that corner in particular is one where like it's weird because like you normally you you kind of want to take a relatively wide angle, yeah. like you know once the the track is cleared up, you want to kind of take a wide angle, Whoa. hit the apex like really hard and sharp, and then get that good exit out into turn nine. But it did seem that Stroll kind of like. He was in no man's land for half a second, and it looked like he might have been trying to take a slower outside line to sort of, like, get on the throttle there. So maybe that's what Kvyat thought. Um, and I think it was, like, it could always have been a racing yeah. incident because it's hard for Kvyat to slow his momentum completely outside of what he cuts over completely. We know this year there's been a fair few issues with cars running over the curbs. It seems like the the wings don't really have as much durability as they did in years past, like as we saw in last race in um, Turkey. And it was tough because, like, Lance Stroll is a bit of a, like, a doofus, let's say, <laughs> and so is Kvyat. Um, I will say that if he didn't flip Stroll onto his head, oh, he yeah. probably doesn't get a penalty. I think it was one of those, like, in rugby league where because somebody got a broken nose or a broken jaw, they, you know... They're punishing Outcome on the, the actual incident. The like the result of yeah, exactly, or the intent of it, right? Like it's lap one, everyone's pretty chippy. It seemed like for whatever reason, like I guess the midfield battle's always so strong that like with the Grosjean crash and then this one, everyone's just so like just tied up and just so close together that those cars are very, very wide and there was not a car length there was not a car with there for Kibiat to get his car through. But he probably just saw that, you know, half a second or a second too late. And then old old Stroll was a he's, he's kind of like a cow, as a, our boy Hulk so eloquently put. Two? Two. He scored two points in seven races, Lance Stroll. That's insane. Shit. That is cash. I mean, a lot of that's, you know, not been his fault and it's been, like, you know, unfortunate instances but I mean that is still really really bad well they've been they've been testing a lot of they've been testing a lot of new shit on his car haven't they like that's pretty much been happening since the podium I think what that's why he um, failed out of Mugello yeah racing points really bad at building cars when they don't just copy Mercedes (laughs) (laughs) none of the new bits work Otmar was not happy no it's it's so odd like the season that they've had because like again like on on face value you'd almost think that they've had a better season than Renault or McLaren like you know Checo's got a podium Lance Stroll's got a podium 
um, first and second in Turkey. But for whatever reason, they're just the issue for them doesn't necessarily seem to be pace. It's more the like in that little Mercedes bit that they had. Um, it was them saying like you can't have a good race car that doesn't finish races. You need reliability, and you know. Not having one car finish is bad enough, but now it's been a few races where the the expected points that you thought they would have a quarter or halfway through the race, and then what they end up finishing with is just well below they expectations. They have helped themselves with some really stupid pit stop decisions as well, um, and just poor yeah. strategy at times. Um, but yeah, Which I think was, also yeah, goes not, into how great F1 is this year, because everything's so nip and tuck where like one week it looks like you know I mean obviously like discounting Mercedes and to a certain extent Red Bull like we kind of like know where they stand like all those other teams like one week it looks like you know Ferrari's finally figured things out and then the week after that like they've tanked it again and it looks like McLaren might be doing something good and then it's actually Renault doing well and then Racing Point doing well and just a massive merry-go-round at the moment great Alpha Tower have been good as well. I mean, like, Fiat ended up finishing 11th yeah. with the 10-second penalty, which shows, you know, he had some good pace. And that's actually the sixth time I think he's finished either 11th or 12th this season, which just shows how distinctly Oof. average he's been. Um, but yeah, Alpha Tower, I think Gasly finished 6th or 7th, I think. Sounds about right. He had a very he, impressive race. Pierre Gasly. Oh, he was sick. Um, probably worth talking about Sergio Perez before we get into the rest of the midfield battle. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to drop my Fiat stat, mate. My oh, Fiat yeah, stat. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a part of the Fiat think, crew, I've got to show my voice some respect. I think Spencer's reaction um, just about says it all with regard to Sergio Perez. He drove a brilliant race. A very Sergio Perez Not really putting any feet, you know, a foot wrong or anything. Just doing his own thing. Was going to bring it home in a completely justified on pace P3. And then with oh, only like four or five laps to go, I'm pretty sure. Actually, it was less than that because didn't he bring out the safety car that ended the race? Yes. So, yeah, it was only with like two laps to go, right? Oh, my God. I was literally like, oh, oh, Hamilton's not going to win. They're going to bring a safety car. Max Verstappen's going to have a lap to take take, take, take first or whatever. And then, oh, no, we're finishing the finishing the race on the safety car. Oh, okay. That's it. Yeah. Brilliant time. Um... Yeah, but so but I reckon they probably didn't want all those cars right at the end to just be racing for one more lap after the the two other starts that they had to that race. That's a fair call. That is a fair call. Very fair call. Yeah. But um, so real heartbreaking stuff for Perez suffering an engine failure. In the UK, you could tell. You could tell as well that he didn't want to like. Let it be real. He tried no, to. He drove that he thing drove. until it was. <laughs> he just like it kept up. Was, it was purple. The car oh, yeah. was going purple. It was bigger and <laughs> even the commentators. Bigger and bigger puffs of smoke, and you're like, oh no, he's still going. He's still going. Oh yeah, no, he's still, oh, yeah, Sergio, it's 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 just, it's on fire now, mate. Like, <laughs> you, you, it looks like a Bunsen burner. Turn it <laughs> off, and even the commentators were like, Sergio, turn it off. It's done. It's done. <laughs> Uh, but um, so yeah, that. I mean, Sergio doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he just he'll burn those engines to a crisp and for Seb next year. Fuck <laughs> yeah, I would. You'd be like one of those like uh, 
uh, wacky races cartoons where he just crosses the finish line. There's no chassis there. It's just him on like a fucking chair with the yeah. steering wheel. Like. But it turned a real a bad day for Racing Point. As if anybody in F1 this day is going to get a car over the finish line that's limping or severely damaged. <laughs> a real <laughs> a real awful day for Racing Point. Um, that segues us nicely into the midfield where Racing Point have now slipped back below. Um, a certain long-haired Yahoo's pick for um, top <laughs> midfield team. Um, but 17 oh. points behind McLaren, yeah. Still ahead of Renault, I do that believe. Is, uh, they are ahead of Renault. But that is a big... How far in front of McLaren were they going into the weekend? Two points. Two, okay, so two points. Oh, still 19 points is, you know... And there's two races left. Oh, it's yeah, still yeah, very still tight, time, man. Because I was thinking it was a sneakily, a really good race for McLaren. I believe oh, yeah. they came home fourth and fifth. Yeah, fourth and fifth. Norris and Science. Huge win. Huge win for the team on the weekend. Um, and that's probably the first time that McLaren has had like a pair of really strong results in the same race in quite a while, possibly even since Monza. I'm just thinking. I feel like they've had a few times one of them, because I mean Carl Lando came home fifth in Turkey. Yeah. But I feel it's, like it's, their you know, second it's highest very point rare that recently the that they're both yeah, they both come up. So this is one of their really strong... Yeah, it'd be only behind Monza where they were... Maybe maybe Austria. Second and third. Second. Well, and in, in Turkey, they were fifth and eighth. Um, in the... Uh, yeah. But Emilio Romagna. Carlos was... Emiliano Romagna. Yeah. Is that what you're looking for there, Oh, they were seventh and eighth there. Yeah, which is not fourth and fifth. Correct. Thank you, Matthew. Um, well spotted, mate. But they've been pretty consistent, like... Over the past, yeah, no, they've been good at because they, they started off so strong. They've been good at scrapping. They points. kind of tailed off towards the middle, yeah. And then they've really. But my, come my back point strong. was just this is the first time two of them have been really strong and been top five since Monza. Yes. And I think I think those are the only two times they've been, both been in the top five, because mm. um, Sainz had some poor luck in the opening couple of rounds in Austria. Um, so yeah, it's, it's flipped the mid-table, um, battle again. Obviously, Renault are the team that is languishing a little bit in that at the moment. Yep. Um, but in saying that, languishing last, is the right word. Last week, I mean... 27 points been, off McLaren now. Okay, so Renault, yeah, Renault's 10 points behind Racing Point. Yeah, okay. And then Ferrari are a further 13 behind Renault. Still with two races to go, oh, yeah. there is well, still and definitely... And that's the thing. You know. We've seen last week at Turkey, it was really... Well, it should have been racing points, Dan. I think they did get the most points just off the back of Sergio being in second. But it really mm. should have been racing points day. This weekend ended up very much being McLaren's day. Um, you know, who's to say that next week won't be Renault and we come into Abu Dhabi with them all yeah. and 10 points again. It was a very... A, very, like, you know, picturesque to their season, like, this weekend with McLaren, where they didn't really, like, obviously, Carlos did great to go from, what was he, P15 to finish fifth. Like, that's yeah. mega. Yep. Um, but I think, like, this season's a weird one for McLaren because, like, from at least the way that they're talking about it, they always seem to be leaving race weekends very disappointed or, like, they could have put a little bit more on the table. Yet, they're only 103 points behind Red Bull and they're a third in the constructors at the moment. So I think that bodes very well moving forward, particularly with that German-built engine getting put into the chassis next year. Um, But I think this weekend could, like, this is going to be, like, a very big, a big race, because obviously, like, as we know, it's pretty much just going to be a a ring road, like, sub-60-second times. And the the last track like this that we really saw was probably, I would say, Spa. And the Renault, with their downforce package, they really surprised a lot of people with just how well the car performed. 
And as we've spoken earlier at length, like we all agree that of the midfield pack or those three teams, Daniel Ricciardo is far and away the best driver of that pack. Um, so a podium for Daniel is definitely on the cards, and that's it, right? Like a podium from Daniel and maybe a fifth or sixth for Ocon. If McLaren have a racing point weekend this weekend or racing point continue to racing point, it could then flip again. I'm, tell- I'm telling you, boys, these next two weekends... I, mean, I, I don't see Ferrari doing it's anything. the weekends of Ocon. Well, Ocon raced somewhat decently, I thought. He had some... You know, he did his classic defensive moves on Bottas for a while until Bottas finally took... Um, that position P eight, but he finished ninth. Ricardo well, finished they, they, they those two were racing each other. Yes, and Ricardo again. again was stuck behind Ocon. Thankfully, the second time it happened, they um, put him through straight away. I'm pretty sure, but he spent a few laps behind him, I believe. But wasn't that time. until Bottas overtook Ricardo? Yeah, yeah. Like he was stuck behind Ocon, and then that Bottas got through Ricardo, well, and then Daniel was. I just remember like the commentators pretty was, angry. Like, pretty angry on the I radio because I woke up the next morning and watched it, but I was doing other stuff as well, and so I hadn't necessarily. I wasn't. Super, super tuned in for all of it, but I, just, I remember zoning sort of back in as the commentators were like, "Oh, you know, well the opportunity's passed now because Ricardo's in front of Bonus is in front of Ricardo, so you can't just swap the Renaults around anymore." And it was like, "Oh, that 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 sounds like the Renault we know and love." Stupid. Look, Esteban Ocon has only outqualified Ricardo once this season. That was Mysteria. Um, and he came out uh, speaking to some publication. He was like, "Oh, Ricardo was blessed." Obviously, he has had a very good year, a very strong year. He's been faster than me most of the season, but when we come close, it's always in his favour. It's up to me to change that for the next two. Which, you can take that two ways. Either that, you know, okay, I need to be better, I need to compete with Ricardo more, or he's angry that Renault are kind of siding with Daniel. Sounds like he needs to get good. Indeed. Yeah, um, it's, it's a tough one, right? Because I don't think any team enjoys making team orders because it, you know... And like uh, to a certain extent, like yeah, it, but it yeah it but it definitely it's it takes away a little bit like the okay. like Mercedes for years have always been synonymous with they never do racing decisions right like even I think the last time they did it Hamilton said that he felt he had more pace than Bottas in Hungary um, he asked him if he could like go ahead and see if he could catch him. He didn't catch them, so he let Bottas overtake him on the last corner to take the podium. And then afterwards, they were fine and jovial. Bottas said that it was a nice thing to do. But I think just at the moment, like this isn't this is a lot different because this isn't about prioritizing one driver over the other so that Hamilton can get points for the drivers' championship. This is about this guy right now is on a different strategy. He's driving faster than you on a harder compound tire, which I think has happened. Almost every single race this year where it seems like Ricardo just gets more pace out of that car with the tyre that just shouldn't be quicker. Um, and it just, it stuffed them up because, like, I'm not saying that Bottas wouldn't have gotten past him, but if Ocon was holding Bottas for a fair few laps after that, wouldn't Ricardo have been able yeah. to put up a pretty decent gap in front of him to make it a little bit harder? And, like, when you're getting in between those, like, between, like, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, there's a big drop-off in points. Like, it goes from, what, 25, 18, 15, 12, yep. 10. Yep. I think it's 8, 6, 4, 2, 1 or something like that. So there's a big difference between finishing fourth and finishing seventh. And and then it turned out that Bottas wasn't even a factor because he ended up shit. having to pit again and he had some issues. Like, they'd run out of tires. His last pit stop, they had to change three tires because that set was the one that he got the puncture on. Like... And it just it doesn't bode well for a guy like Ocon when 
Like, if you're faster and it's the other way around and Ricardo's leaving next year and you don't really want to prioritize him, yada, yada. But Renault at the moment don't care because they need to get all the points that they can. And at the moment, there's 15 points of what's that, like yeah. 20 or so points between, yeah. I would say, a difference in like 30 million pounds worth of money next year. Like, that's huge. That's massive. And mm-hmm. I, like, unless Ocon's bringing in 35 million pounds extra next year, which he isn't, like, you just got to go with, like, team orders. And that's one thing with Cyril that's, like, very, like, like I guess, like, a characteristic of him is that he doesn't really do well, like, it seems, like, making those big decisions. Like, he seems to sort of, like, struggle in those. And he's always got an excuse, like, after the race because of it. Uh, Esteban, Fernando is faster than you. Uh, You want that? (laughs) I still still have faith in Racing Point. I still think uh, Sergio's in insane form. I, I can see him getting a, po- a podium or two in the last couple of races. Mate, Sergio Perez is a decent shot to win this weekend. Oh, all it takes is one. All it takes is one DNF yep. from one of those cars out of the six, and it completely flips because it's not just that car not getting points. It's now if Ricardo's running fourth, going to score twelve, he goes out of it. Renault lose exactly. twelve points, and then Racing Point gain five points because both of their drivers have now gone up a position. It's awesome. Like they've been speaking about it all year with this midfield battle, but I would say that this is definitely the, the funnest midfield battle because there's definitely an element of like, it's not all the same. Like you can definitely see that like certain teams are better at certain tracks. Like there's obviously been a little bit of luck and involvement and all the drivers. What is it? I think only, only Ocon hasn't got a podium. Out of those six drivers, they've this all, year. yeah, they've like, all had awesome. their moments except for Esteban. Yeah, coming, yeah. I don't know. I, the, the 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 woes of Sergio Perez did um, eventuate into the tears of joy for a certain other driver by the name of Alex Albon. Is that tears? There should be because he should be thanking Sergio. Perez. He should be buying Sergio Perez a bloody housemate <laughs> because this brings Albon back into contention for that seat. Does it really? Well, Christian Horner seem, seems to saying all the things in the media. Oh, we want Alex to succeed. We want him in the seat. We want Alex there. I'd just like to fast forward about eighteen months ago to the run up to um, <laughs> Belgium, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And I seem to remember that um, Red Bull were very supportive in the way they <sighs> talked about Pierre Gasly. Oh no, we're behind Pierre. We want Pierre to do his best, you know. Pierre's the driver here. And then yeah, it was, oh, yeah, we're switching yeah. with Alex Albon. Yeah. Yep, we're just going to, Alex, if we could take a photo of you, and what we're going to do is we're going to Photoshop you in where the other Nice drive to survive reference, bro. Yeah, Very yeah, impressive yeah. stuff. Yeah. This guy does his research. No, but, like, Albon did have, he just had a simple race, you know. He qualified fourth where he should qualify. He was running for... It was the race that we expected him to have in week one. Yes, yes, correct. It's obviously a bit... In my opinion, it's too late. Um, But maybe Red Bull see that and they think, okay, maybe he's sorted out his demons. Maybe he can do this job. And if he gets, you know, two more impressive results in the past, in the the next two races, is he then in contention? Well, I mean, what's considered impressive if he comes home fourth and third, is that really... You know, that's, that's well, not any better. That's we know, worse. That's we know Lewis Hamilton's not racing in Sakia. Yes. We know Valtteri Bottas is 
a literal piece of garbage. Facts. Well, this and that's it, right? Like, there's no Lewis Hamilton yeah, well, here. Yes, well, so there's like a car that's 20 seconds off in the distance, mm-hmm. isn't there? This is Albon's chance to show that, hey, if Red Bull next year, if you guys can put together a car that gets us a little bit closer to Lewis, like, if they can, like, obviously it depends what a certain um, famous star, a very uh, common theme of the show, we'll get to that later, we'll do in the other Mercedes. But if Verstappen and Albon can bully Bottas and Mercedes into having to make strategies, not Red Bull making their strategy based off of Mercedes, but Mercedes making their mm. strategy based off of Red Bull, this could literally be the perfect like audition for Albon to go, you know what, this car just gets a little bit better, like I can be your guy. Like because like with the way Bottas is driving at the moment, like and the way like and his recent run of like bad luck or whatever you want to call it. Like I, I, I could definitely see a get him out of the sport, too, mate. Like happening this weekend. That's like they've definitely got the car the fuck out. for it. How are Red Bull finishing first hey, and second like, when Perez is winning the race? <laughs> if Perez wins the race, that's his seat. Like surely, if Perez gets a dub, that is his engine's going to blow up with three seats. <laughs> for um, three laps so I think <laughs> is there anything else? You oh, no, no. Sergio will be winning with a with a lap to go, and then they'll pit yes. him. Yes. Oh, probably. <laughs> oh, we can't even beat Lance. Racing Point will pit him in lap two. They'll put him on his pair of softs and make him run on the softs for 42 laps <laughs> and the bastards will explode. They'll only uh, explode go, oh, on like the last lap. He's that good with tyres. He'll somehow get them to the last lap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else, you boys? Yeah. Ten, ten laps uh, over anything expectation. Anything else you boys to discuss from the Bahrain Grand Prix? Not from the race. In terms of the actual, in terms no. of actual racing? Having uh, now dropped the old Lewis Hamilton, we might as well just well, move on to speed up. Uh, yes, I think. So, well, various news stories. We'll start with the miscellaneous news stories. That will start. But you're, just, you're just passing up a perfect segue. We are passing up a perfect segue, but it makes sense to finish with the preview of the Grand Prix. Oh, fine. So I think the next thing on the agenda would be driver market news. Obviously, a few, few notable announcements made this week. First of all, Haas announced... The, what I think we'd all kind of known for a while, but um, Nikita Mazepin will be coming into that team with his um, father's bags of money, mm-hmm. and we'll see whether his father follows in Lawrence's footsteps and sort of just buys the team. <laughs> but obviously, so that, that was announced, that was, you know, fairly big move for Haas, and then that was followed yesterday by the announcement that Mick Schumacher in, again, probably the worst kept secret in Formula One, but Mick Schumacher joining Haas next season for Schumacher back on the grid for the first time since, I believe, 2012 Nine was years, Michael's la- last year. Yeah. Um, obviously, at this point, Mick is currently leading the Formula 2 championship, I believe, about 15 points over Callum Eilert. Yep. Um, he does look, with the consistency that Mick's been displaying lately, he does really look odds-on to take out that title. And seamlessly make the next step up. Um, I'll obviously I'll, I might get your boys, both of your boys' thoughts on those moves first, and then I can possibly add anything more if it's needed, knowing a little bit more about well, it too. I guess. Third, but, um, right? And the F two. Like um, actually, I think Mazepin might be up to Mazepin's third right now. Third, yeah, because yeah, he had a he had a strong weekend. He comes um, through Nikita Mazepin. Um, his dad Dmitry is a billionaire, uh, which is lovely. You like that? You like to see that? Bit of a Russian oligarch in the sport. I can't wait. But he's he's also quite talented. He um he came second in the twenty eighteen GP three campaign. He was eighteenth in his first F two season for Art, 
ART, but he's yeah, currently third this season for high tech after two wins and four podiums. And the thing with Mazepin is he's actually got a lot of experience with Formula One machinery. So he tested. Oh, he has done his research. Yes, I have. He tested for Force India in 2016, 2017, and 2018. He tested for Mercedes last year. And uh, thanks to his daddy's, you know, cash, he has paid for a series of private tests with Mercedes, similarly to Lance Stroll in recent years. So he is familiar with the uh, motor vehicles that he'll be driving. Yes, I think. Um, yeah, I guess well, Spencer. Uh, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on Mazepin first up. So I think, yeah, Mazepin. He's got a lot of. He's got honestly pretty solid racecraft. He's got a lot of pace. He had a slow start to the season, and then I believe in Hungary, um, which was the first race where like really that was the race where I went hit one to bang on about how I wanted to see tire changes in F one because I thought the tyre deg and the difference between the tyres and F2 made that weekend amazing and the race where um, Robert Schwartzman I believe drove through from 11th to take the win in the feature race Mazepin came from I think 15th possibly on the grid to come P2 and just carved it up at the end and from then on he's done a few of those he's very very good at the alternate tyre strategy in F2 which is to start on the harder compound, run long and then carve back through the field at the end on the softer tyre he is generally pretty friendly on his tyres, from what I I can tell on that. Um, yeah, he's got got a lot of pace. Has pretty pretty good consistency as well for most of the season. Um, he does have some attitude issues. He's not a, whether I'd say he's you know Dan Tictum levels of it, but oh, he's Dan Big Tictum. He's a he's a very brash personality. He can get you know a bit of a temper on him. He does get frustrated a bit easily at times. He can sort of chuck the proverbial toys out of the pram a few times, I remember. Um, he, he actually, I think, he's only got two wins. He's crossed the finish line in first place three times this season. I can't remember which round it was. It might have been Spain. He came home first, but um, I can't remember what the incident was. But he'd done something, and he got given a five-second time penalty, which handed the win to Ooh. Yuki Sonoda. Oh. And Sonoda was the first one to get back to pit lane and parked up in the P1 spot, was over celebrating with his team's. And Mazepin, when he parked up in the P2 slot, or it might have been the P- P3 slot, but he parked up in such a manner that was quite aggressive that he actually, like, knocked the um, P2 marker forward and almost into Yuki Sonoda. Okay, I love this guy already. Um, oh, so Yuki you're, Sonoda you're, is the villain of the piece. You're, you're, you're a fan of drivers who almost injure other drivers in Park Fame, are you? That's a, that's a weird personality trait. What are, those, what are those markers made of? Cardboard? I mean, if you're getting injured by a piece of cardboard... They're, they're not cardboard. They're definitely ma- metal. They're metal? Those, those, they're those definitely markers? metal. Yeah, they're metal. Right. Dude, well, they're cardboard. They just blow over. Ah, they're plastic. They're they're plastic. Might be, they might be plastic. But you still right. throw it in. It's still... Yeah, but you're still, you're still driving in a dangerous manner in Park Ferme, which, like, that the, that's the pit line. That should be a safe space. It was an accident, mate. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, Vladimir's got to pay me to do the right things here. I'm supporting <laughs> yeah, my boy. Yeah, no, I mean, you're going to be a huge Nikita Mazepin fan. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, yeah, and he, he, he belted somebody as well, didn't he? Um, he might have done. I think oh, that rings about. Yeah, think... he punched. He punched somebody. I can't remember which driver it was. It might have even been Islet. They had like a little <laughs> bit of a scuffle on the racetrack, and then he belted him with the right hand and like fucking like gave him a black eye and like, like fractured his cheekbone or something. And things like isn't your favorite drivers, Matthew? Mazepin. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do like him. 
I like Eilor a hell of a lot more, but... I mean, you spent most of this year saying that, oh, when Magiprin gets into the sport, oh, he'll be my favourite driver ever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've I mean, most of, of a... that, most of that was sort of to make it make a joke of how much I criticise Lance Stroll and how much oh, I'm going to okay. still get behind Magiprin, which I probably am. Okay, Because okay. I like Magiprin as a driving talent, but I think mm-hmm. I made it very clear that my allegiances in Formula 2 have always lied with Calum. Yeah, here we go. 20, 2016, Mazepin punched... Um, Callum Eilert, after second qualifying, receiving a one yeah, race ban. I was going to say something. Yeah, back oh from my the GP3 god, days. I didn't realize that his dad Dimitri, but he's worth over five billion pounds, by the way. And he, um, his company Euralchem, they make fertilizer. Yeah, yeah, it's a fertilizer company. Yeah. yeah. Yep, they're going to be. They'll be one of the big name yep, sponsors on Haas next year. Eurocarly will be all over that. Yeah, car. He punched Callum Eilert in the face. Black eye, swollen jaw. Oh I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go boldly assume um, that's in the Mazepin special as well because I've not seen any of that really in Calamite. Like I can't imagine Calamilot started that confrontation in any way. That doesn't seem to fit with his personality. So um look, it will be interesting. Case in point, Callum, if you're listening to this, Hume thinks you're a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's a decent bloke. Um, it will be interesting to have another personality of that ilk in the sport, maybe someone to take over from Danny Kvyat. Oh, because they're both Russian. Racism. Yes. Yet again. Come on, Yeah, man. what do you got against him? Oh, no, Come on, I think they're both brash personality. He's, he's ta- well, he's taking over. Kvyat is leaving. We're still going to have Verstappen. Yes, they are both Russian, so he takes over in even more of a sense than if he was just another brash personality. It's important to still have a Russian on the grid. It's a demographic that needs to be represented. It's unprofessional, mate. What, wanting to have as many countries as possible represented <laughs> in Formula One? Implying they're similar people just because they're both from Russia. No, it's implying they're similar people because Danny Kvyat is a twat and Nikita Mazepin is a twat. Okay. Although I think Kvyat might be more of a likeable twat. Uh, Mazepin just seems to be the um, twatish type. Um, but Mick, Mick Schumacher, um, Spencer, I know you were, a, I think, a bit of a Shumi guy back in the days, so I might get, we'll get you to speak a little bit about Mick yes. Schumacher and the significance, I guess, of having a Schumacher back in Formula One next season. Well, yeah, I was like, it was announced late yesterday, and again, worst kept secret, we kind of always knew it was happening, Ferrari Academy driver, um, Haas in the past have, yeah, perhaps, um, let let other Ferrari Academy drivers slip through their fingers. Um, Ferrari, um, rather famously, wanted them to have Charles Leclerc in their car for a year. And they said, no, we don't want a young guy. He's not going to score us points. So they went with K-Mag and Roman. And then uh, Charles ended up scoring uh, more points than the Haas's in the Sauber. Um, so mm. obviously Ferrari are paying a little bit of a scratch, if you will, to Haas to have their um, golden pony in there. Um, and Gunther came out yesterday and was actually pretty honest as well. Like, I liked it that he said that, um, you know, I think the quote was, um, there's obviously a lot of, um, like, you know, sponsorship and financial benefits of having the last name Schumacher in your team. So one would assume that there's probably going to be a fair bit of money that's going to be coming through to the team through Schumacher, probably not per se as a pay driver, but more just, you know, a lot of sponsors are going to be able to get a lot of right. money just from right. that last name. Um, yeah, you, know, you couple that with obviously uh, Russian daddy Stroll um, in the seat next to them. Like, I think it's a it's a it's a win win for Haas. I think really, very I think like they've 
Well, it's it's great because it's um, it sort of shows at least you're hoping that we're two young drivers that Haas is kind of committed to the future and they're not just there to kind of like make up numbers. But then as we all know with F1 is that the more money you can get in, the better your car and your overall package is going to be. Um, but I guess getting back to the whole, you know, Mick Schumacher in general, um, he put out a, a pretty nice um, message yesterday saying that, mm. you know, he wished that his dad could, you know, you know, be be there to sort of see him make this, you know, massive step up into F1 and that he'd always known that, like, it was a dream of his that he was going to realise. And um, he started off the season this year not not great, you would Definitely say, um, in F2. Like, start. the first two races were, yeah, but he's obviously, like, you know, come through towards, like, the late end of the season. Um and I don't know, I just, you know, there's something about it that just feels right yeah. that there's a Schumacher back on the grid. Um, it's it's going to bring in a lot of old fans um, that maybe only watched the F1 back in the day for Michael Schumacher. Um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure what this current trend is of um, F2 champions seemingly going <laughs> to the worst team on the grid. So we'll see what kind of package Haas can put behind... Both Mazepin Williams and Williams to start team. with, um, but we have no idea what that'll be next season. I think Williams is just on. I think Williams is still he's on points. Technically, Williams is still. Yeah, the yeah, no, no, no. But like that changes each season. Like there's, there's Williams is on an upward trajectory. Haas is on a downward trajectory in terms of car performance. I'm putting my faith in Haas to be better than Williams next year. I, mean, I think I think all three of those teams I'm hoping will step back forward and be back up to an AlphaTauri level. Fuck like Alfa Romeo, dude. What? What's wrong with that? What, just because they kept the same driver line Yes. <laughs> because I'm vehemently against you. It's going to be a good... Like, now that we know that the lineup has pretty oh. much shored up except for what we've got, one Red Bull seat it's and Alpha one AlphaTauri seat AlphaTauri available. and Lewis Hamilton. Like, it's going to be a lot of fun yeah. where, like, those, like, the... I mean, we probably class AlphaTauri right now like they're uh, they're kind of in between the midfield and the bottom. Like you look at the the point they're totals in their own little, and own little yeah, area. they're in their own little area. But the the bottom three next year, that's a really compelling, interesting lineup to start with. Like you got Alpha, like Alfa Romeo, Haas, and then Williams. Um, all of them except for Raikkonen, who is the complete opposite of a young driver with Gio, potential. Gio's a veteran at this point. Honestly, like what is he? Like twenty two. I think Gio is like twenty-five. He was, he was actually might be. He was definitely, definitely. He was, he was an older rookie anyway. He might actually be like twenty-six or twenty-seven. Jesus Christ! He's um, but I will say, yeah, talking to Mick Schumacher, obviously you made the observation, Spencer. He did start out the season slow. Obviously, he had a few things go wrong as well. But I think again, if if Jashan was to do what he wanted to do and dig back through the tapes to see whether or not I'm actually an Eilat fan or a Mazepin fan. I think the other thing you'd see early on, because we've obviously we have speculated on which of the F two guys, particularly which of the Ferrari drivers, would get these seat or seats as that, and I think you'll see right back at the start of this podcast, I was very firmly, I think it should be, you know, I lot of that, or saying, I think it should be, but like I reckon it's gonna be Schumacher, but I don't think he's the one that deserves that, and I think you probably noticed my tone yes, as I'm, the season's yes. gone on, 100%. yeah. Yeah. I swung around because slowly but surely I've just gone, no, you know what? I mean, I still really want it to be Eilat, and I'm gutted it's not. And I'm very hopeful a seat opens up for him next season. Like I said, a season after next. Well, but I'm very much like, oh, yeah, when Kimi retires. You know, you can't begrudge, you can't begrudge it to me because he's probably going to be the champion. Logically, he's the best guy in F2. He should be the one to take the step up. Mm-hmm. But 
just so much about that thing because like he started off slow and like in the early season when Sportsman was raking in wins and so was Eilat, but like Schumacher was just consistently sort of getting like fifth, sixth, sevenths, and that which meant he was staying just about in contact but fairly anonymously, and then he just bumped it up and he started being instead of being fifth, sixth, and sevenths, it was, you know, thirds and fourths always. Just he had I think he's the only one who's had like multiple multiple weekends where he's double podium, which is you know in. You finish first or second or whatever in the feature race, you're starting, at, you know, seventh or eighth in the sprint race, which is a shorter race. You've got to get through other cars that are often, you know, still very, very good, decent drivers. So if you put them at the front, can really hang up there. They've all and had the time in the sun. Schwartzman first, yep, then Eilat. Then Eilat. Yeah. But the difference is that Schumacher's time when he wasn't in the sun was consistent has been yeah. a bunch of... I mean, Eilat was, well, pretty, pretty good, and because Eilat's had bigger highs. But yeah, Schwartzman really tailed off after his time in the sun where Schumacher was just sort of, yeah, kept in contact, kept in contact, really stepped up his consistency, and then it's just started adding race wins. The biggest thing as well going in Schumacher's favour and why it works for him so well in F2 and it'd be interesting in F1 is I've just, well, I mean, Giovinazzi's the comparison I'm about to make. Just His starts are electric. Every week he gets... Because the first time I really noticed it was, I think, um, the Silverstone GP. Eilat was meant to start P2, I think, had something go wrong, had to start from pit lane. But that meant that Schumacher was, I think, starting P3 and had a blank, a car in front of him on pole, but then a blank grid spot, obviously, where that P2 was. And you actually watched on the start line, you sure on the still shot, Schumacher actually lined himself up with his wheels pointing to the right so he could go straight, like, before turn one. And that was the first time I was like, wow, gee, yeah, Mick gets off the line pretty well. And then just oh, every geez. weekend... Every, every weekend, he'll, like, qualify... Because he's qualifying is probably the one thing he really does need to bring forward compared to someone like an Eilat. Mick doesn't normally qualify really any higher than, like, fourth. But it doesn't matter because he qualifies seventh, but he's P3, P2 by turn six anyway. Um, this weekend, I actually commented Jashan after watching qualifying for Formula 2. Mick only qualified 10th to Eilat's pole, but I was like, oh, mate, look, watch him be P4 after the end of lap one. And within, like, three corners, he was P5. And yeah. by the end of lap one, he was P4. And I was like, oh, I was I was actually joking. But There'll be some interesting rivalries next year. Oh, him, and, him and Gio starting on yeah. the second last row of the grid each week. Just a race to see who can get into the points Yeah, by those the end of lap two. One. Uh, Mazepin versus Stroll to see who's so, the best um, pay driver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess Latifi, technically. Latifi. Latifi. So I'm, I'm very excited to see. And F2 um, will be interesting as well to I see, uh, you know, how much Oli Piastri can that's dig everyone else. Big ones, obviously. Mick Schumacher's departure from F2 leaves a seat at the powerhouse Premier team. And that is being filled by the young Aussie hopeful, current F3 world champion, Oscar Piastri, who Oscar announced... Um, yes, announced he's thankfully because we would all been you know I, I certainly been nervously waiting to see if it would be happening, but announced he is stepping up to F two, and into that premise seat, which should make him an instant contender hopefully. Um, and yeah, that'll be very exciting to see, especially because obviously you know we have heavily speculated there will be a seat in twenty twenty two, in Renault. that Al- in that Alpine Renault seat, yeah. alongside Alonso, and I think there will be. In, I don't know who feels that. I think there will be a seat in that team in 2023 when Alonso finally retires from this sport for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we've got... You know, we, I think we all think there's a good chance of Pierre Gasly going there. Uh, but then it could be a battle in the next couple of years between Christian Lungard, mm-hmm. lesser extent Guan Yuzhou, and Oscar Piastri for who is that next Renault boy to um, step up. So yeah. could be a big year for Piastri. Just good to see him. He's got to make that next step up the chain. Because I was... 
you know, it can be hard to make the step from F3 to F2 because you've got to secure so much funding for it. Yeah. So it's good to see that has happened. So you, poor shares obviously made the jump up. Um, as well. I don't know whether poor shares is there okay. next on the grid. He's he's filling in this season. Okay. But um, I wouldn't surprise me if I think Porsche will be on the grid next year. He's Porsche is the other guy. Prodigal. I'm so high on Teo Porsche. Any chance for Liam Lawson, the homie? Um, uh, potentially. It depends whether or not. I mean, if Yuki Tsunoda steps up, there's a good chance that Red Bull could just say to Carlin, "We'll put another one of our guys in your car." Yeah. Um, and that Yuri Vips Liam, Liam Lawson. That Yuri Vips potentially. Yeah. Well, look, uh, Piastri, yeah, he's aiming to become the third Australian to drive an F1 this century after, obviously, Ricardo and his manager, Mark Webber. Uh, exciting times. I always forget that Mark Webber manages Piastri. Yeah. How good. It's, How it's, good. it's nice. It's a nice little narrative there. And, um, yeah, mate, hopefully he can thrive in F2 with all these new rule changes and, oh, God, whatever the fuck they're doing. I was going to say, well, Spence, Spence, I know you've done some reading on it. Do you want to take us through the changes to F2 and F3? Yes, so didn't pay much attention to F2, F3 this year. Um, I did watch the race um, on Saturday, I think, because it was on a pretty good time. Um, so next year, so it was a two-race format, if I'm not mistaken, where it was the qualifying would, would um, bring up the feature race grid, and then the feature race would occur, and then the top ten would be yep. switched over. And then the sprint race, which is a shorter race with less points, would then be the final race of the weekend. That's what it was now. Um, so now for next year, so practice and qualifying will be remain will remain untouched. Um, in F two, there will be two sprint races um, that will retain a hundred and twenty kilometer race length or forty five minute runtime. Um, so this is where things get a a little bit a little bit different. So the starting grid, so the qualifying will determine the top 10, right? Follow, follow along with me here. Qualifying, top 10. The first sprint race, the grid order. For the feature race. So, yes. So qualifying is for the feature race, which is now last. That'll be held on a Sunday. I think it was normally held on a Saturday. That's now going to be yep. held on a Sunday. Then the sprint race, the first sprint race order will be reversed from qualifying. So whoever qualifies first will go to 10th, 10th to 1st, yada, yada, yada. Then the second sprint race, which will be held on the same day, will be a reversal of the first sprint race. So we'll have a sprint race, sprint race number one, which will be reversed from qualifying. Sprint race number two, which will be reversed from sprint race number one. And then the feature race on the Sunday, which will be determined purely off of qualifying. And then we go to F3, which will pretty much retain the exact same algorithm that I just showed you now except the top, top 12, 12 will be reversed yeah. rather than top 10 um, like not really knowing much about F2 and F3 outside of what Hume said to me and a few highlights here and there it it seems like a, a good thing to do like I like the idea of the I think it's going to be they race on alternate weekends or different weekends and the F3 yes. race will be held on a Sunday morning and then the F2 races will be held on a Sunday mid-morning afternoon so sort of like a like a, a yep. whistle wetter to the main event which sort I think of, is really cool always always done them like the standard format for them when they've all been at the same Grand Prix weekend is I think F3 is always the first session out of the day on like a Friday so it'd be like F3 practice F2 practice practice 1 then at like F3 quality practice 2 and F2 normally is like the closing session and that so then like on a Sunday first race of the first session of the day was the F3 sorry Saturday it was the F3 race into practice 
into qualifying into the F2 feature race would be the closing event of the evening and then obviously on the Sunday, F3, F2, F1. Um, but like, I, don't know, I like this movement of the feature race because I feel like that fleshes out the actual Sunday. Because Sunday often feels a bit bare because it's like, well, it's the two shorter races. Mm. So like, but there's only one Formula One session on a Sunday, but we've got that a bit more fleshed out now. It'll have, I don't know, uh, yeah, it'll have the main race for F3 and it'll be the longer feature race for yep. F2, which will be good, I think. I think the, the points are differing as well. Yeah. Um, so the F2 pole sitter will still receive four points, but sprint race one and two, top eight finishes will be awarded. 15, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, so 2, and 1 points. Same same scoring format, just obviously 15 more points available each weekend. Yeah. Um, so it goes from, it's going from 48 to 65 is the maximum point. Okay, so, oh, yeah, weekend. of course, there's, seven, there's, seven, there's 17 more points because there's an yep. extra fastest lap, two points. So there's 15 more points for a race and two points for a fastest lap. And them changing it so that F F two and F three don't appear on the same weekend will be an additional race um, for each per round. So that's how they've sort of like worked that around. Yeah. So um, theoretically, this is part of cost cutting movement. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it and it makes it makes more sense as well. I think for the the drama for the feature race, right? Where if you qualify really well, but then you know. A lot, a lot more cars are on the track. Um, they're normally like they're pretty. They they're the same car, aren't they? Pretty much by by specs. Yeah, I guess. by yeah. specs. It's all down to how well the teams um, set, set up the car. Shit. Yeah, which is where you get power. Okay. seems like Primer and that because they're just really, really good at setting up the car. Which means that you now have you might have a driver who qualifies in second, let's say, which means that he starts the first sprint race in eighth. Um, you know, maybe he gets turfed out and then he finishes in 20th and then can only finish in 15th in the second sprint race. But then come to Sunday, he's still in second for the for the feature. And then obviously that's the most amount of points that you can get um, across the weekend in a one race. So I think it'll it's a good way to, I mean, it's a lot more driving for all the, the races involved, right? So an extra race a weekend is more race craft. Um, it puts across a better product because, like, at the moment, it seems that there are a lot of young kids coming through that are, like, seemingly knocking at the door and there's not enough spaces available. Um, and, you know, with with extra races on a particular, like, race weekend, maybe that means that more people, once crowds are allowed back, are staying there longer, you know, spending more money, like, more gear, yada, yada, yada. Um, and maybe long-term, it's a potential for an 11th team yeah. to come onto the grid in yeah. F1, which will free up two more spots for young Bad drivers, potentially, that. you know. I like There's it. So it's a good drivers move, I think. And it's been fifth. It's F2's been the same. Yeah. F2's been the same since 2005 in format. So it's a nice little change-up after one and a half decades of same yeah, old, same I, old. As, as I guess, the, you know, the resident F2 and F3 guy... I'm yeah I'm 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 a fan of it I guess that's the thing you're only losing one race because initially when I saw that I was like oh you know because it was it was it was really weird after having them at both of them at the first nine rounds and F two at the first ten rounds to then have that really big gap from Russia up until this weekend with no F three or F two and I was a bit like not to like take away from the Formula One in that but like F two is probably being the one I have enjoyed most this season and it was just weird that became because it had become such a stringent part of like my sort of weekend routine you know i'd for first thing saturday morning i'd watch the two quality sessions first thing when i woke up on a sunday 
I'd watch, um, you know, actually not yet, but normally before, I'd normally, you know, I'd, I'd watch the F3 race, watch qualifying, then watch the F2 race, and then I'd watch both the F3 and the F2 race live Sunday evening before going to bed. Um, and then suddenly that was gone and that, um, losing losing one of those, because obviously it used to, it's in, when they're both there, it's in theory four races to a weekend, now it'll only be three, but the fact if it means that effectively they're going to be at just about every single round of that, 24 or 23 whatever 25 whatever stupid number of race calendar it is for formula one i think that'd be nice just always having a support category there something like that and you know yeah never have more than like a month or so without one of those rounds and that and you know, it keeps the sense and drama going because that was obviously the one thing it was like oh you know f3 was really really good this year and then it was just sort of done halfway through the season you're like oh well that's over cool Whereas, you know, it'll it'll bring it out, flesh it out, the same thing. I'd be interested to see if they don't, well, how they've announced it, but I would have thought maybe maybe you try and have both categories there at, like, Abu Dhabi or something, and you can have them all finish on the same weekend. Yeah, that makes sense. But, um... The Yasmari yeah. interaction? No, I think, it, I think it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, one, um, one more thing I'd like to touch on before we get into a race preview is, um... The W Series, so the International uh, yep, Single-Seater yep. Motor Racing Championship for female drivers, will be on the support bill for eight Grand Prix in 2021 as part of a new partnership with Formula One. I didn't even know that was a thing, but that's cool. Yep, no, I think it's good. Um, chance for, um, I guess, the more casual fan possibly to get to see a few of those youngsters there. I think, no, most notably, Jamie Chadwick, who I think, if anybody... Is you know if any female is going to break into F one in the next few years, I think Jamie Chadwick is the best bet. Um, I think if Russell goes to Mercedes in the next year or two, I think there is a chance she's a Williams Academy driver. She's a Williams Academy driver, and if you look at Williams' current situation, Latifi brings in the cash. Nasani, sure he'll bring in cash, but he would be the worst man to be in Formula One in a very long time. Jack Aitken, I love, but he's just not good enough. Dan Tickton is good enough, but Dan Tickton brings so many other issues. Yep. Jamie Chadwick may very well be good enough. Like, everything I've not seen her race, but everything I've read, she sounds like she's the best female talent to have come around in quite a while. And, like, I mean, think of the PR. Think of that is oh yeah. So that's if a, you want to be think, cynical think, about it, then yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's a good chance that we see her in a Williams in a couple of years' time. So I think it'd be good for her to get a bit more and the rest of the drivers in the W Series to get some exposure. Yeah. On the actual Grand Prix weekends. Well, hey, you know if Jack Aiken smashes it this weekend, uh, I mean, Jack, who knows? Jack, Jack Aiken double Grand Prix wins. Uh, you know, winning the actual Formula Formula yeah. One race. So, yeah, so that does happily bring us to the preview for this weekend's Sakia Grand Prix on the Bahrain Outer Loop, also known as a glorified NASCAR oval. Mm. Um, three long straights. Moo Moo Meadows from Mario Kart, mate. Absolutely, just long straights and a little squiggly bit. <laughs> but um, some big, big news relating to this. Obviously, the midweek news that Lewis Hamilton has tested positive for COVID, completely justifying that dude who ate a bat. It was all <laughs> worth it. No, but was it, though? Because, look, Hamilton facts. Was he to win... Um, obviously he won Bahrain. If was he to win the last two races of the uh, season, he would have uh, matched both Vettel and Schumacher's record for 19 wins in a season. No, sorry, for 
13 wins in a season. Yeah, and... Yes. Vettel did it in 19. Shumi would have done it in 18. Hammy would have done it in 17 races, getting yeah. his record. Yeah, mm-hmm. Am I meant to be excited <laughs> by Lewis Hamilton? No, but hey, man, if he's, he's the out here copping records. The difference is I have a mad, like, just nostalgic respect for Michael Schumacher. I have a genuine, slowly burnt over time, but <laughs> love for the person that Sebastian Vettel is. I just don't care about Lewis Hamilton. I'm, I'm glad that he doesn't get that record. Fair enough. But, um, I mean, that would have obviously been a very impressive record to break, and you, you'd hard, hard to begrudge the man that. But I think it's what it's done is it's left a very interesting situation. Obviously, there was speculation, would they ask Williams for George Russell, in which case he would take the Williams seat? Would they just go with the reserve driver, Stoffel Van Dorm? I think Esteban Ocon might be their test, not Esteban Ocon, Esteban Gutierrez is their test driver as well. <laughs> Although, um, from what we saw from the E-Series, good thing it's not Gutierrez. He did a lot of running into people. Um, <laughs> would they just call up Nico Hulkenberg, which I would have been on board with, just for the whole, you know, are you allowed? Was, No, you are allowed to drive for two teams in one season, because obviously Albon... Drive like for that. every team in one season if you want. Yeah, they will just um, employ you and sack you. <laughs> um, Hulkenberg would have been cool just for you know because he was apparently the guy they were going to go with they didn't get Hamilton all those years ago and yeah. seeing him in the best car you know surely that's his podium but what is, has happened is I think the most sensible outcome I know Jashan's disappointed Stoffel's being like robbed saying mate. Stoffel's name robbed Van Dorn but you know if Stoffel Van Dorn I too robbed. enjoyed Stoffel Van Dorn's name and then I watched him race for three years and I was <laughs> like ah oh, well you're still a little bit of a letdown aren't you <laughs> but um so they've obviously negotiated with Williams and George Russell will be filling in. We'll see about Abu Dhabi and Hamilton goes, but he's filling in this weekend for Hamilton and the Mercedes. Jack Aitken, who was the reserve driver at Williams, is going to get his F1 debut in that Williams, which is exciting for Jack. And obviously what Jashan was alluding to just before, so how we see Jack Aitken goes. Um, not sure whether that means... Actually, I'm figuring that means that someone will be filling Jack Aitken's seat in F2 as well. Um, put the Astri in there for a weekend. Yeah, mate. Um... Yeah, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what George Russell can do in that William, um, in that Williams, in that Mercedes. You know, logically, this is the points, the possibly the podium, and maybe even a win. He's always put up very impressive splits and lap times when he's got a chance. Oh, he'll get fouled, but he'll be shit on race day. Yeah, well, that, the Saturday man in full force. You watch. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, so Spencer, what were you? What, what did you make of the whole Hamilton COVID, and what are you? What are you sort of looking forward to and expectations of? George Russell in that Mercedes and even Jack Aitken in that Williams? Um, well, to be honest with you, I don't give a fuck what Jack Aitken does. Um, really, <laughs> really Honestly, don't care. Yes, I only same. care about Williams for George Russell, so let's just get that out of the way first. Um, Turnbull with Hamilton, um, I think it's unfortunate. Like, I know he'd be the type of guy that wouldn't want to let the team down. Um, he seems to love that Mercedes team very much. Um, I think looking forward, I don't know. I don't think he'll be able to race at Abu Dhabi because both Bahrain and Abu Dhabi have among some of the strictest COVID um, protocols and regulations. So there wouldn't be enough time with the triple header, or sorry, the double header now with it next weekend to probably test positive and be good. There's something like a 14 day turnaround. So his season is effectively over. Um, but that in yeah, the long run so. probably works well for him. Like, I think Mercedes would probably just even say, like, stuff it, like, go back home, get an extra two weeks rest. Like, he's already said that he really oh, enjoyed nice. the, the time that he's had, like, you know, at home. Probably makes him more likely to re-sign without any kerfuffles. Um, the big news is obviously old Georgie boy finally getting his crack. Um, 
I uh, tried to get onto Sportsbet late last night to chuck a bet on uh, George Russell to win, and they'd uh, suspended the betting on George Russell to win, as long as they have with Bottas and Verstappen. So obviously a few naughty boys like myself tried to get in there a little early and bet on <laughs> George Russell when he was 500 to 1 to win the race before the Mercedes news. Um, <laughs> so I assume Sportsbet will probably be refunding some bets because they can't afford to do that. Um, and George Russell is currently a dollar twelve to finish on the podium, so uh, that's good. Um, I think it's it. Yeah, you know, when we saw that Hamilton had COVID, we all sort of like joked and said like, you know, who do we want it to be? And I think all of our answers were obviously, you know, hopefully it's George Russell. Um, it seemed that the, the Stoffel kind of made sense from the perspective that he's a reserve driver. Um, but I think for Mercedes, it's obviously like really good PR to have George Russell there. He's almost become the the darling or the Bambi of F1 and the F1 community, particularly with him um, turfing it at, um, what was it, Portugal? Uh, Imola. When did he turf it? Emilio Romagna. Imola. That's it, sorry, at Imola. Um, like, I, I like it, but it's also, it's... It's almost a lose-lose for both Bottas yep. and George because if if George gets beat by Bottas, people are going to come out and say, oh, well, he's not really that good anyway. Like, you know, the hype is, you know, like unfounded, like blah, blah, blah. But if George Russell beats Valtteri, then everyone's going to come out and say that Valtteri Bottas is shit. So it's really, there doesn't seem to be any kind of like middle ground there think, that's going to be like good for both drivers. Russell isn't nearly as bad because you can still say, yeah, well, I mean, like, obviously we've seen Russell in practice at like, you know, test sessions, do shorty things, but still like getting used to this car, having only been driving his Williams for, you know, however much of the recent months, like there is a bit of a, you know, a learning curve to pick up on potentially. But I think you yeah, definitely, if, if Russell beats Bottas... Not a good look for Bottas. Not an issue for Mercedes because I think I don't know whether it was Jashan last week or someone, but definitely someone or I read something or someone had said to me, "Oh, you know, like what happens if you know Russell beats Bottas?" And I was like, "Well, it just means that you know Russell goes back off to Williams next year, can drive with a bit more confidence because and all that." Now he's already yes, it was in a Mercedes, but he's got that. That's no longer an issue. He doesn't have oh, to yeah. race over that. So yeah. That helps that. And um, in 12 months' time, Valtteri Bottas doesn't get another one-year deal because he's getting replaced by George Russell. Oh, it's a huge opportunity for George to impress. So we know that George Russell can drive a Williams very fast for one lap. It's their chance to really get an evaluation of how he drives their car over the course of a race distance and in an actual race setting with other people racing around him and to get a feel for where, he, where he's at for his racecraft and his demeanour and everything. Um I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, so I, I saw that, um, like, with the track being a ring road, that everyone's saying that that's, like, a really easy pass for George because, obviously, like, a, a track with basically no turns, pretty much all straights, you know, e- easy one to sort of master and figure out. But with the way that the track sort of set out with all the outskirts, one one mistake where you go wide and you cost yourself five or ten seconds could be the difference between a podium or like finishing like around the top five, like top ten. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I don't like, and it's just it's like it is just like good drama for F one because I don't think there's a single F one fan that actually follows F one that wouldn't like to see George like, you know, I, I'm not going to set the expectations too high. Like, no, I, don't. I think like. 
like we know that he's good, but we also know that Alex Albon's good and he's in a pretty good Red Bull and it can take a while. And he's been driving that car for a while. Mm. And it took Daniel Ricciardo a while to figure out the Renault. And it takes, you know, it, it takes every driver except for pr- prodigious talent to figure out a car early. He's got a week to figure out a Mercedes compared to a Williams. Yeah. And like, from what I've heard as well, like one of the worst things to do as an F1 driver is to get given a car to practice with that's like doesn't have any problems with it and is really easy to drive because it lulls you into a false sense of security. And you would think the Mercedes at this track is a pretty clear-cut favorite, but we've also seen Valtteri Bottas turf things like pretty consistent. And he's had bad luck for sure, but it's like, like if George gets pole position, I still won't be confident that he will finish in the top three. I'll yeah. just say yep. that. I, I'm, I'm not saying that he can't win the race. Some, uh, some trivia. Some trivia for you fellas. Um, George Russell has become the third Briton to drive Mercedes. Obviously, Hamilton's another one. Who's the third Briton? The third Brit. What a roster. No. Um, does Jensen Button count? No. Wait. Damn it. So, during yeah. the Mercedes... Oh, he has been knighted. In a... This is according to the FIA, FIA website. Oh, wait. So, Jackie Stewart? No. Uh, is it a Formula One driver? Um, is it a Formula yeah. One name that you know? No, never so, heard okay, of it. Okay, so it's from way back in the Presumably. day. Presumably. <laughs> um, so Jackie X? No. I'm trying to think of other British drivers I know who got knighted. So Sterling Moss. It's yes. just, I already knew that. How did I know? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's Sterling man. Moss. It's uh, Sterling Moss. Congratulations. Going for them back in the original run of the Mercedes. Pietro Fittipaldi becomes the 32nd Brazilian to make an F1 start and the first since Felipe Massa. Jeez, this has really overshadowed the fact hey. that Pietro Fittipaldi raced yeah, this weekend. No one cares anymore. It's like, oh, cool, man. Yeah. Whatever. Who was the last Brazilian to debut in Formula 1? Uh, oh, was there anyone after? I don't... Bruno Senna? Nope. Oh, what's his face's son? No, no, no. Yeah, uh, someone, someone must have come. After it was in two thousand and fifteen. Oh, um, two thousand fifteen. Oh, oh, that was. Who did he race for? Sauber. Made thirty nine starts. Oh, with Sauber. Oh wait, so he did like two seasons at Sauber. Um, God, twenty fifteen. <laughs> No, I'm sure it's blank here. Shares the same first name as, as Massa. Oh, Felipe Nazza. <laughs> yes. Of course, Felipe Nazza. <laughs> no. Very, very forgettable. <laughs> same as Marcus Ericsson, except you remember Marcus Ericsson because uh, I crack. think Ericsson hit us. Yeah, okay. And finally, um, there'll be 83 laps at Sakia. No, no, sorry. Yes. Hold on, there'll be 87 laps. Fuck Jesus. Which is the longest... <laughs> The longest since the Ida circuit, the Pacific Grand Prix at the Ida circuit, which had 83. Legitimate question. What is up with this race time? It starts at 3.10 Australian time and 10.10 like local time. Why yeah. is a race starting at 10 minutes past 10 at night? I don't understand. I Why is this race? Probably the track and car temperature because they're going to be full throttle the whole race. Yeah, yeah that could be it. They, yeah, okay. That's so they, they need it as cold Just as they all, can all, en- all engines and brakes. All engines and brakes the whole yeah, race. You barely have to stop it all. <laughs> this weekend will be the first time in Mercedes history, dating all the way back to the 50s, that they will not have a world champion driver in their lineup. 
Burn. Retrospectively, this race will still be one that was driven by a world champion from a second. Yeah, they've got a Valtteri world... Bottas is winning next. They've season. got a world champion caliber driver there. His name is yeah. not Valtteri. Oh, oh, you, oh, you suddenly think George <laughs> Russell's a world champion caliber driver? Al- I know he's good. I've always How said he's good. How can he be a choker and a world champion caliber driver? He's got the talent to be a world champion driver. And I'll be fascinated to see whether his mentality holds up this weekend and the weekend following. Mentality. Yeah, mentality, buddy. It's all, it's all yeah, the mentals. all right. <laughs> um, so predictions. So, so we'll, we'll go three, two, and one, as we always okay. do. Start Fair with you, Jashan. Third place. Um, third place. <sighs> Jesus. Uh, honestly, mate, give it to Lance Stroll. Spencer? <laughs> third place. Yep. <sighs> Max. I'm also taking Max for third. Fascinating. Jashan. Second, up. Sergio Perez. Spencer. Total bias. George Russell. Also taking Sergio Perez. And uh, Max Verstappen will win. Daniel Ricciardo. Wow, I'm taking the same... I'm also taking Daniel Ricciardo to win. Big Danny. Yeah, young Daniel. Out of out of curiosity in that case, Jashan, where, where have you got George finishing? Fifth. Fifth? I was thinking maybe six, sixth. That's yeah. right. I, 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 yeah, I write that. But uh, there's also a 30% chance that he uh, completely fucks it up. And just drives into the desert. <laughs> just leaves. Goes on a freaking pilgrimage. If he races both weekends, I'd think middle of the points for this, I reckon he'd be a good shot of the podium in Bahrain. Hey, man. If, the second mm-hmm. race if he car. retires after this race, he retires as a Mercedes driver. That's true. <laughs> think about that's that shit. That's true. That's true. Uh, oh, there's uh, no safety cars that he can drive um, any other oh like, fuck 3.10am it starts I thought you meant 3.10pm no, 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 no. I saw that and I thought that and I was like oh yeah that makes sense like <laughs> that one was Get a night race fucked. this is just a normal afternoon race but no it's starting at three, like 3 o'clock in the morning our time it's starting at t- so the middle of the night oh, in even Corey's at 3am yeah, no. Me. I don't understand. Why are you starting a race at the middle of the night local time? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's okay. I'll probably be without a job by then anyway, so I'll be able to watch it live. Oh, I mean, I'll probably, I might just get back. I might get up to watch it because I, mean, I don't do anything on Mondays. But, um, <laughs> yeah, she is. I, I just saw that and I was like, that's because I was thinking, I was like, oh, okay, you know, they won't do both races, not bar and night race. They might just do the, you know, the big loopy road as a day race. What, that'd be cool. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like afternoon, it might be like an early yeah, evening. You're not having race. a day race in Bahrain, yeah. mate. You do know the Bahrain race was a day race up until like Yeah, and they, they discovered that, okay, that's not really working, is it? Oh, yeah, it made it boring, but, like, it wasn't like the cars were blowing up. It was just a boring race. Fair enough. We don't this is going to be a boring race, race anyway because they're just driving around it's in a big circle. It's very interesting. Interest. Yeah, okay. But we were excited and interested to see how Imola would go, and then it was a very boring race because no one could overtake. True. All righty, then. Indeed. That for another week, unless anyone's got any other obscure predictions they want to make. Like, I think Lance Stroll will fail to score points for the eighth time in nine races. Um, seventh time in eighth races. Yeah, because he's only scored two points in seven races, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, so for the seventh time in eighth races, Jesus I think Lance Scroll will fail to score points. Um, and oh, I have I have Esteban Ocon coming fourth, just for disclosure purposes. Valtteri oh. is fifth, George in sixth, and Alex is um last. Yeah, the fact that no one predicted Albon. Oh, Pietro Fittipaldi's going to score a point. Guys. Yes! Around it. He'll take, he'll take exactly one race to score points compared to George Russell's two seasons. <laughs> I have Ferrari 
being asked a question by one of their drivers and answering it immediately. Oh, now that is a spicy pin. For the first time, this, I'm I going big. I was about to get big. I'm going big. Say, I'm going to take Latoyfi to just put no downforce on the car and finally <laughs> get that point for Williams. But that's got nothing on Ferrari actually being able to answer a question. Oh, Jesus. Can you, Coherently, can you, they're going to know what he's talking about straight away. as well, just for maximum shock factor. He'll be like, "Oh, can you give me the race situation?" And his engineer is just going to like rattle off perfectly, like detailed breakdowns of how he reacted to his first title. Is how he'll react yeah. to this. He'll he'll break down into fucking tears. They have to pull the <laughs> car over to, to deal with the emotion. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. That uh, Pierre Gasly's engineer has a very soothing voice. That's fair. K Mac has the worst engineer. I can I every time I hear K Mac's engineer talk, I'm just like he's like, oh, good job, Kevin, and I'm like, you have to, ah, such an annoying voice. Oh my god, this is some passion, uh, Jesus. All right, well, unless either of you two have anything more to add, I've certainly got all my points made. End it, mate. End it, mate. Well, in that it, case, um, as always, this has been another episode of Rear the Grid. Send it and end it, my friend. That was a mega job. Great, uh, good drive. So good to have you both up there on the podium. First time we've had a podium uh, here since 2013, I think. Yeah, no thanks, Christian. In, uh, enjoy the rose water up there. It's a bit sticky. <laughs> I'll save you some. <laughs>